Mr. Derek Vienhoff. He's better known as Deke. Drinking liquor with DJ Deke, we out laughing. Yeah, Deke. Yo. Yo, hey. Oh, hey. Okay, you sounded better so far. Okay. Alrighty. Yeah, what are you going to do, freaking computers, man? Yeah, well, that's why I work with the analog, right? That's the thing. That's, that's why. Ah, tell me about analog. Tell me about the joys of analog. Why should, why, why should we, are we going back to analog? Should we go back? Well, I think in some senses, uh, like especially... Uh, with the field that I work in, which is particularly involved music, especially yes. with uh, with like uh, guitar amps and stuff, less is more. You know, there's kind of this phase with most of electronics. They always want better, smaller, and tighter, compact. Well, the trend is to go back and kind of you people like the the classic sounds. You know, so it's, it's with guitar amps. Uh, yeah. Uh, and of course, uh, vinyl—the whole resurgence of, of vinyl—and even old, like old stereos from the '70s and stuff. Like, yeah. there's a big market for that uh, here in Ottawa, particularly. Uh, right. A few places that are like, uh, like these places you you go to like a Goodwill and like get these your, your uncle's old stereo for like thirty bucks, you know. Whereas now they're like three hundred, four hundred dollar units sometimes. Huh. Yeah. The, and brand, yeah, and it's like well, and but it's true if you compare it versus like you know even. Modern little, you know, Bose Bluetooth or whatever. You know, it, 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 yeah. there's just a certain sound that it has that you just can't. can't yeah, yeah. So okay, if we could break that down, because a lot of people don't understand. I mean, I guess it's pretty pretty sim- simple. Analog versus digital. There's analog is digital is is, is a, how do you describe the, the real difference? Like analog is uh, a sound going through. What what do you call? What how do you describe it? What is going through? Like. Uh, well, like all sound is uh, is AC voltage, and I, like you know this is pretty rudimentary. I'm not sure if I'm, I might get this a little not 100 correct, but mm-hmm. from my understanding is is that you know with analog, it's like it stays as AC voltage all the way through the circuit from the in to the out to the speaker. Whereas with digital, it, it, it goes in may go in as an AC voltage and it can stay as that, but it's going to get run through like a computer chip which is going to reprocess it you know ones and zeros and all that stuff yeah yeah um instead of using a bunch of outside components to uh affect the sound it, it kind of all goes into this one chip which you yeah. probe to do that thing yeah well the way i think of it is like uh just very simply like if you plug a guitar straight into an amp like mode that you might build or whatever which you can explain to me too in a bit but you're not uh, however you're putting layers uh for it to go through like you're putting barriers for the sound to go through when you're putting say a compressor on something or you're putting uh limiters or amps or whatever right you're you're adding things to it you're in a sense you're you're taking away f- from the original originality of the sound does that make sense yeah no totally it's being reprocessed right like yeah. it's that's totally it's it's going through uh, a whole other form of, of yeah Audio so we're dressing it up. What we want is the sound to be. You get a. Uh, what do you? What do you? How do you describe the analog sound? Is smoother? Is it warmer? Is it like? Yeah, the, there's a lot of buzzwords that kind of go around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mean, I, I, I don't know, man. It's it's kind of one of those you got to hear it for yourself. Kind of convince your. You know, I 
I've given up trying to convince people a lot of the time. Right, <laughs> I, right. Just kind of, I'm like, you, you can hear the difference yourself. And uh, yeah, a lot of the time it's just, uh, it's more honest, it's more straightforward. Whereas like everything will kind of, I find that there's a little bit more sterile of an environment of music when you're listening to through digital stuff. Like it always kind of has like a somewhat of the same. Like, like flat or something? Like a bit flat? Yeah, yeah exactly. Or it's always going to be processed similarly in a certain way. Like it's always yeah. going to through a certain algorithm it's always going to be limiting in it and compressing it in a certain way like mostly yeah. like, you know and some programs are better than others like yeah they have better processing uh, capability and better you know software and stuff like that yeah. built but uh but with analog it's just honest it's straight so if it's more of of bass or or more treble or whatever that's going to come through a lot more easy mm-hmm. you know a lot more and i think it's uh yeah, I think that's what you're hearing. This is just the, the fact that it's more honest. I don't know. Yeah, no, and you were saying like different software. Yeah, like Fruity Loops, uh, FL Studio. People would, used to say it has a warmer sound than like Ableton or something else. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. Which is kind of weird too, because I guess that's just the whatever their encoding is for the actual mixing down of the final file it must. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There, uh, or what, I guess, what are the converters? The digital, the digital to yeah. Sure. Yeah, I get lost in the science of it though. Like it, it trips me out just thinking about sound and how it uh, how it's processed and created, and then I mean even just how it's processed by your brain. I guess is a whole other conversation. But the fact that yeah. sound is recorded on physical objects is such a strange thing to me. Now, see, to me, like I kind of, I, and I, I. I, I I'm always trying to learn, always trying to, but I focus so much right now in the, in the beginnings of it all. Like I'm learning how to, how to build, you know, the very first type of guitar amps that were really popular, you know, and like, you, they're like, you know, the Holy Grails. And that's why, you know, people still want them is because they still create the best sound, but I kind of going like chronologically. Right. So like, I, I still am really shaky on digital stuff as far as computers and mm-hmm. not really my realm. I didn't really grow up in the, in the, having computers around the house and stuff like that as a kid I didn't really mm. stand like I kind of have an understanding of how computers work but only very fundamentally but when it comes to audio and stuff I, I studied a lot as far as what's actually happening like inside of a, a tube for instance like in a tube amp or even more fundamentally going down to say an acoustic guitar okay so why is that string vibrating like how, how why are we hearing that like it's mm-hmm. What, what is creating that? And then from that, how is an electric guitar creating signal? Like I said, like I mentioned earlier, AC voltage. Mm-hmm. It takes a magnet, a, a magnetic force, and converts it into energy, the AC, mm-hmm. AC current, and then put that and amplify that. And that so the the fundamentals of sound, how it's recorded. You know, say even just like how a record is printed, the yeah. whole idea of grooves. Yeah, how does that work? So they actually have like a groove cut out and that determines the the vibration and the movement of the needle through that space determines the sounds that come out. It's fucking insane. It's so crazy. And the whole idea that like they couldn't cut records with too much bass or the needle would actually skip out because the the groove would have to be too deep. So that's why vinyl, like, you know, you go back and listen to records from the seventies and sixties, even like if it is, even if it is digital, even if it is an MP3 or if it's been remastered. There's no bass. No bass or very little. Like bass. there is, but yeah, it's like. Uh... Whereas, like, if you tried to print, and you know what? This is funny. My my friend got a, a pressing of a, a Tool album, 
and it kept sk- some of the songs it kept skipping out and no it got way heavy parts during the bass what yeah well i don't know if it was just kind of in the in the process of because when you mix and i've done this before when i've recorded with band i play in some bands and we've okay. done recording and stuff and the the engineer will ask you you know what's your plan because because vinyl has got a, such a resurgence now the, yeah. the engineers are the hip ones anyway will be will know enough to ask you how, what are your plans with releasing this are you just going to do it digitally or yeah they, 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 they just to help you design it properly for that format Exactly. So, or even to find a compromise. So, say they know you at one point want to create a vinyl copy of this. So they'll say, okay, well, we'll record that base information, but we'll make it in a way that it, when we go to master it later, it'll be easy to take out, right? Because there's different stages of recording. There's the recording, the mixing, the mastering, and then there's the you know pressing. Oh, yeah. Stages in between, right? So there's going to be uh, audio man- manipulation at every stage, but. Like I said, the hip ones will ask you, okay, like, if you're going to print this on vinyl, you can't have that much bass. Like, there's a lot of hip-hop albums. Like, I doubt you get too much Skrillex on vinyl that would, like, sound the same as... Oh, you know, it's so weird. I never thought about that. That's The way you're describing that is trippy because, yeah, I, I didn't consider that. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, and it's the same with 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 tubes too. Tubes in a in a in a guitar amp, like yeah. So, how does that work? Explain that one. Yeah. So tubes, like certain tubes, I, I was just mean like as far as frequency response, like I was saying, bass, and sometimes if you try to push too much bass through a certain type of tube, so like there's a, there's like you know maybe like five or six different main types of power tubes that are used in guitar amps, and that's just like the the ones in the the, the power there's two type two sections of an amp, a preamp and a power amp, and power amp does all the work. It, amplifies the stuff from the preamp so it's the main types of tubes vary as far as frequency response so if you have a certain type of tube that can't handle and you that much bass response and you put a ton of bass through it it'll distort or sound flubby or there'll be certain uh, a certain sound when you try to put too much bass through it so that's why like in a bass amp you'll use a different tube than you would a guitar amp sometimes because they'll have a different sound right and and but some people say they like the sound of the bass distorting in a way, so they'll use a tube that can't handle the bass, turn the uh, bass up. So these are all things that contribute, you know. And uh, it's it, it's a pretty deep. You can go into the rabbit hole and talk for hours about you know the difference between different tubes and oh why this one sounds different between this one and and the design and there's you know kinked tetrodes and and beamed. Uh, Pentodes and different because t- tubes, have, you know, although they're not they're really designed new tubes in you know fifty years, they were the main type of you know everything. They, they were in everything for for thirty years or forty years or whatever. So even now today, there's still a stockpile of tubes that were made in the thirties, forties, fifties. Like what are they in? Like like other than amps, what like radios and different like electron or uh, yeah, things that make sound? Yeah, pretty much everything. Like uh, uh, well, even like. Uh, yeah, exactly. But pretty much all your common electronics were all run power to power, you know, like dictaphones and and all these little weird things that like uh, I'm sure there's tons of stuff. Uh, you know, going back into you know the night, early in the part of the century, it's really interesting how many how much tubes were a part of common day life. Like even I talk to some older technicians and they tell me stories about how they're like, oh, I remember when I was a kid. Just have to go down to the store when my TV stopped working. You reach in the back, pick up some tubes. Yeah, and there was a tube tester, like, and this big giant machine, and you go and you pop it in, and it would say, "Oh, tube had failed," and then you show it to that guy, and he gets you a new one. You know, it's super fascinating. That's insane. So I'm just reading. It's vacuum tubes to increase the amplitude or power of a signal. A si- okay, 
vacuum yeah. tubes. Yeah. The hell is a vacuum tube? It just sucks <laughs> the sound signal in. Like, well, no, it's because it's under vacuum. It's a glass. It's like a glass envelope. It looks like a light bulb, essentially. It looks like a little light bulb. Okay. And, uh, and they and this holds. Is it, is it in, in electronics? Is this what holds charge? Or no, the capac- capacitor. That's a capacitor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those are. That's the day. See, that's why there's kind of like this mysticism around tube amps, where everybody's like, "Oh, you don't 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 work on those. You could kill yourself." And it's true. Like they have really high voltage in them compared to like. Uh, solid state, so there's like are you know, they more dangerous. Oh, way more dangerous. There's, but if you know what you're doing, then it's not that dangerous. Like, so you know, like solid state versus tube is the main thing. You know, even like with stereos or guitar amps, that's like the the two main types of, of amps: solid state versus tube. And in solid state, you know, the voltages usually don't get too much higher than about 50 volts, or you know, sometimes you'll get a little higher, like 100, but never really that high. Usually, you're even like 14 volts. Like your common, you know, your 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 phones and you know all the most of the stuff in your computer is all like five volts, mm-hmm. nine. It's like it's not running on very high voltage. Whereas a tube amp, um, the the amount of voltage is very dependent on the sound, and a lot of them have like five hundred volts at the like the you know, five hundred volts DC. So there's two different types of voltage: AC or DC. DC, if you touch it, you'll fly across the room and wake up and oh, you know, uh, <laughs> you could die. Uh, AC is the one that if it's really high AC voltage and you, and you touch it, you'll, it'll grab, you'll grab onto it. One, like kind of, you'll fly away from and one will, one will go grab onto. Oh my God. That's insane too. Uh, So that's just what the, the, uh, the interaction of the molecule or the atoms. Yeah. Well, it's like direct current versus uh, alternating current. So alternating current is like going between two waves. So it's like constantly at 60 cycles. Uh, here in North America at 60 okay. seconds a second, whereas DC is direct. There's like a plus and a minus. So when you touch the the, the plus of the DC, you won't flying because it's all discharged through you. Uh, and then the AC is kind of constantly going. So it can be uh, – but again, this is all like – I don't think people who don't understand or you know have somebody to show them this stuff at the beginning shouldn't probably be working on this stuff or shouldn't be anywhere near. And they have labels on the back of all this stuff, you know, uh-huh. no your friendly parts on the inside like don't open this up but but yeah <laughs> like i was really lucky i had a guy show me this is my my good buddy um dave has kind of gone through uh the fundamentals with me he's been doing it for like 10 years and he, he kind of started out as a novice he had nobody really show him he started doing it before the internet was really a thing you know like it was around but it wasn't like there weren't a thousand forums with all these everybody's input you know there was like yeah few books available that you didn't really know about, you know, even up here in, in, in Ottawa. I mean, it's a bigger city, but it's not like, it's not like Toronto or, or, or Montreal. There weren't like, you know, guys knowing about the stuff on every block, whereas, you know, even in Toronto and Montreal, there seems to be more guys into it, right? So uh-huh. um, to, that would be able to show you. So he kind of learned on his own, and I was really lucky for him to have showed me all this stuff, so I don't kill myself, or hopefully. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, when it, when it comes down to the the fundamental uh, sound design of of an amp that's when it gets really interesting is because it is people can get really overwhelmed especially I know I I do like I mentioned earlier uh, I do live sound at a uh, at a place here in town this place called Live on Elgin and 
there's a lot of artists who are fantastic musicians, but they just don't know their equipment or don't understand much about equipment. Yeah. And you start talking to them about it and they're just like, oh, well, I went into the music store and there's all these different amps and I don't know what to choose from this solid state or tube. It all sounds really good. But, or even to them, they'll say it kind of all sounds the same. I don't, I don't really understand the difference. And then you just try to start to explain it to them, their eyes glaze over and you're like, okay, you understand that it's not for, it's not everybody's ready for that, all that information at once. And sometimes it takes, you know, you got to process it. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it takes like five, 10 years for artists to come around and understand like, Oh, I play this type of guitar. Cause it gives me this type of sound. Cause I play with this guy. It gives me the, you know, some people pick it up immediately and you know, I don't, you should, but on the other hand, you know, you shouldn't focus too much on that. Cause there's guys I've seen who like, you know, they pull out the three, you know, you've seen it. They pull out like the three guitars. They got all these extra back guitars and this giant pedal board and all this stuff. But then they like, you know, they play four, <laughs> they play four notes the entire song and, not very well. They don't really use that equipment to even benefit their sound overall or their performance. It's just what, like for show or just they don't, yeah, they don't know how to use it properly. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I can under, definitely understand when people are like, oh, I have no idea what I want. So uh, <laughs> that's where I, that's why I started to doing a lot of the stuff uh, custom instead of building a bunch of stuff and trying to sell it to a music store, a bunch of my, my musician friends or whatever like that, which is what a lot of companies do, a lot of, uh, you know, amp companies or any, any manufacturing company, right? I kind of decided to stay more on the custom side because I started meeting all these artists and seeing that, well, hey, these guys don't necessarily know, but, like, they want to know. Yeah. Like, maybe not all at once, but maybe they want to be shown, you know? So then guy will contact me and say, you know, I want an amp made or I want a guitar pedal made. And what but do they ask for as far as, do they ask for visual aspects as well as sound and then just functionality and, and do they do they describe the sound that they're looking for and you try to help them get that? Exactly. That's that, that that's exactly it. Um, you know, if it's an artist they really like, sometimes it's a, a really specific, like one song from an artist. Ah, yeah. You know, or, or you know, this artist from this period to this period or, or, or you know, somebody they you know, a sound that they had had in the past before, you know, because a lot of people... Dr. Dre's a chronic. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Make that's it sound it. like that. They want the Bernie Worrell uh, synth tone, you know? I mean, R.I.P. Bernie Worrell. Uh, I don't know, you know about uh, P-Funk, right? Like Parliament Funkadelic and the whole, like... He was uh, the, tell me. He was the guy who was the keyboard player for Parliament for Funkadelic, and he did all the synth, all the synth stuff for... Uh, for Dr. Dre. Oh, on with, that album? What is, uh, what are they called? Funk- oh, isn't it, oh, Parliament Funkadelic. It's like this whole, oh, it's all another whole thing. There was the band, the Parliaments, and then there was Funkadelic and George Clinton. Okay, had, I know George Clinton. Yeah, yeah, he did both, and he was getting, doing both bands at once, getting paid by, like, different... Is this the precursor to G-Funk? Or is this... Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. These guys, they, there's some, uh, really good documentaries online about these guys, man. I have some, my buddy Dave, the Amp Tech guy who's got to the stuff. He's a Parliament Funkadelic like freak, right? And they have all these weird stuff. Like he would, George Clinton would like get really messed up on acid and start screaming all this weird stuff into the microphone in the studio, and then it went end up on the record like you know, like free your mind and your ass will follow. You know? Right, right, right. <laughs> well, he's a weirdo, eh? Like he was one of the most unique looking sounding guys. Uh, yeah, and you know he started off with barber barbershop, eh? It was barbershop quartet. Really? 
that's what the parliaments were, man. They did, they did, they did uh, barbershop in the fifties, and then went, <laughs> yeah, and then he went on to do this weirdo stuff. Uh, so cool, actually. For a while, those guys were standing there doing backup, like on a few of the albums, like uh, Maggot Brain and stuff. I think there's uh, he still there's, does music too, you know, like he's, oh really? Yeah, like he's been on a couple random, like he'll appear on different rap albums. Oh, I heard he's not doing too well lately. Really, like health wise. Hmm. Oh, he's getting up there. He was sitting down. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't doing too hot. But uh, he's living an interesting life, man. Like, uh, you should check out a bunch of Parliament stuff. They got some interesting stuff. Not some some not so interesting stuff. Uh, like, it's a little too whacked out, you know, like when they started getting yeah. into the crack and stuff like that in the 80s. It started getting a little, right. a little too hairbrained. And Bootsy Collins was a part of his band for a long time. He oh, stole okay. he stole Bootsy Collins and, and his brother Catfish from George Brown. Okay. Or, sorry, James Brown. James Brown fired him. Oh, yeah, yeah. James but, Brown was a hard ass, eh? Yeah, well, Bootsy showed up high on acid and he got fired, so... anyway, you can't be doing acid and showing up to... Yeah. Well, I mean... Well George, well, George Clinton found out that he got fired for being high on acid and hired him right away, so... <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, hey, was... who who's the guy in the Beatles that started smoking... No, that started doing acid? Was it Hendrix? Okay, here's the mix. I don't know who showed who, but it's like Bob Dylan, Hendrix, and the Beatles, and well, one okay. of them showed... There's all this, there's all this lore, right, around <laughs> it, but I mean... I there's I think it's pretty proven that Bob Dylan first started like smoking weed with the Beatles. Okay, but like, Hendrix, I'm, I'm just throwing Hendrix in there by accident. He wasn't part of yeah, that. I don't think so because by the time Hendrix was in the London, you know, he came he went over to London in like '66, '67 or whatever, and I think the Beatles were pretty popular by then, and they had their own. They already had been got been getting high and doing the trippy shit. Yeah, I think so. I think they were all in it together, you know, like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I always remember the story of uh, Clapton, like, jaw dropping to the floor after he saw Hendrix do whatever it was, like a cover of one of their tunes or something, like whatever he first did that was just amazing. Oh, Clapton, oh, man, or Hendrix killed God, man, because they used to call Clapton God. All this oh, stuff. shit, so Clapton was just, yeah, he was just the best. What, yeah. what, what, what classical, ga- like, what, what songs made him the god was it just his playing ability in general or like yeah, yeah yeah he played with the blues breakers he was the first one of the first guys to really do that like r&b like blues style guitar like bb king style in london like okay. he, like he loved albert king and bb king and those that style like three or four notes but playing with a lot of soul and a lot of feeling and and there wasn't nobody doing that other than long john baldry and but and that, he's another uh, really interesting guy too. Uh, is but Long John black or white? Long John Baldry was a white guy. Okay, so in Clapton's white guy that's doing black, like the, they were doing the black rock and roll. Yeah, but it, but but what? How, how did they adapt? How did they change it? Like what? What's the difference between that blues stuff and to rock? Like it's just the the time signatures or or what? How do you describe real the real difference? Well, I think a lot of it is just, it was just you know it was sped up blues. Licks. Did they call it backbeat? Like, what is that in rock and roll? Backbeat. What is that? Oh, uh, just like the the rhythm, you know, the like the drum and bass section. Right, okay, that's just like kick snare kind of thing. Yeah, and like often the, the bass line that goes along with it, you know. Right, right. right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I mean, the main difference I think between a lot of that old blues and then that rock and roll was, yeah, it was just like it was more pop infused, you know, more focused around having like you, you know, can dance to it. Yeah, it was like more complete stories almost in a way. Like a lot of the blue stuff was really storytelling, but it was not in a, it was just kind of all open-ended, you know? 
uh, you know, uh, yeah. like talk, talking about how bad your life is. And, and okay, yeah. So the lyrical structure of rock and roll yeah. is always like has a beginning, uh, yes. chorus, da, 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 and then it round, it ends at the end. It really comes to a close. Lyrically. Yeah, it's more poppy. Yeah, mm. but a lot of it too is just the fact that he was playing like this different style of nobody ever heard that before. He was like one of the first guys to record a wah pedal on a song. You know, I remember seeing something or reading something. Somebody was saying that they were in London and they heard a wah pedal like on a recording for the first time. And they just like, what, wait a minute, what, what, what was that? What was just the whole idea? It was like, what, what is that? I mean, when was the last time you heard something that you actually stopped and was like, I can't wait a minute. What, wait, what? Yeah, I can't remember when, but I, I, I there happens. Yeah, it, we're like, we'll hear a song that's like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's some cool baseline, good beat, but there's not really anything that's like as groundbreaking as it seems anyway. Maybe, maybe in retrospect, we'll look back and there'll be things Share like Share auto tune. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's one example, right? Like, the, apparently, I don't remember. I remember being around when that song came out, but apparently, people. There's stories that uh, and anecdotes that when they heard it in the club, it was really a, a, a feeling of what the hell is that? Oh, that share song? Yeah, that uh, believe in love or whatever. It's called. Yeah, yeah, I think that was the first real like uh, commercial use of uh, of that of yeah the auto tune. Oh, I do remember that coming. I remember the video and everything. Actually, I remember that coming out. Yeah. Oh man, that's true. So I mean, but going back to like you know the, the whole like just finishing what I was saying about the yeah. whole. Clapton thing, I mean, and, and whole, that whole time, him and, you know, other people were just kind of at that time playing it. There was a whole revolution as far as musical equipment as well. And there, a lot of this is not, this doesn't happen as much today as well. Yeah, tell me about more about that time period. Like, what else was going on equipment-wise? So, like, by the, by the like, mid-60s, people started showing up to rock and roll shows and shows in general in droves. Especially, like, the Beatles were, like, the one thing... Like, they were playing these, like, 20, 30-watt amps. They just were not keeping up with the screaming crowds of people. And this was before public address systems were, like, ever a thing. There were, you know, maybe you went to a, a stadium or something like that, and they had those little, you know, when you go to, like, a, a hockey arena and those tiny little crappy little speakers that would, like... Kind of megaphone-looking things? Yeah, yeah, those megaphone things. You'd have, you uh, know, uh, uh, concession stand. Like, open. Stalin no. used to use those to talk to the Russian people. <laughs> That's what I mean. So that's that's what you would have. That's what you. That's what that's the vocalist would just you know often just sing through that or whatever. If what? Have, I, did, or, I don't know why. It's so trippy to me. I mean, no, it's crazy, right? Or they would have another amplifier, another thirty watt amp okay. on stage that they would sing through, or the three guys would sing through. Well, that's not going to cut it when you have twenty thousand, thirty thousand screaming girls. So what did they do? It was like they had to come up with a solution on the spot, kind of like the the H bomb in World War Two. They're like. <laughs> Over time, they, they 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 developed larger amplifiers, more right. powerful amplifiers. There's the 50 watt amplifiers started being produced um, in the in the mid 60s. Actually, really interesting. The first guy credited for ever building a PA, uh, a guy from Canada, Pete Trainer. Shout uh, out Pete Trainer. Yeah, just passed away. Yeah, oh, rest in peace. Dear, rest in peace, Pete Trainer. He made. He's actually my favorite amp manufacturer. I have him a kind of a trainer amp freak. I collect them, and like I, when people drop them off for me to work on, I don't even have to look at a schematic anymore. I just, I can just open it up and like know what's going on. I can tell That's if things really been cool. That's so cool. 
yeah, a big part of Canadian history too. From Toronto, uh, Yorkville Sound is you know along the McQuaid. There's a big history all around Trainer along the McQuaid and Yorkville. They're all kind of affiliated the same company or different companies, but all affiliated with each other. Uh-huh. So P Trainer invented the PA like only in like the '60s, like '66, '67. The whole idea of having like a separate unit that you bring around with you, yeah. or would be installed at venue. Uh, where you have speakers hanging or speakers on stage, columns that were designed for projecting vocals only. Yeah. Then it was kind of multi-purpose. Everything was multi-purpose. You would just use all, there would be a bass channel on the amp, there'd be a guitar channel on the amp, and there'd be a a microphone. And that's the days we're talking, Cash, Elvis, those kind of guys, the Buddy Holly, whoever's back then. Yeah, all those amps from the 50s actually have a microphone input on them. Most of them anyway. Like all the Fenders and the Fender amps and Gibson amps, they'll have like, you know, it'll say guitar or instrument yeah. and the next will say microphone. So sometimes they were electronically different. Sometimes they were exactly the same. So uh, that's a really interesting part. So when they started evolving and separating the amplifiers, okay, this is a guitar amp. This is a bass amp. <laughs> they got two. Okay, now we have two amps. Okay, now we have PAs because we need to really hear them. Now we need to get louder amplifiers. So they started utilizing different tubes and, and make, instead of just having two tubes, have four tubes, six tubes. Yeah. You know, it started getting really crazy in the, in the 70s where they like, you know, the high watt, this company high watt and eight tubes and all these different companies started doing these crazy, you know, 400 watt output section, which is just crazy. Like 100 watt is even like getting pretty nuts. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah it, it just got to a point where people start just playing volumes to, sh- to play over top of each other, you know? <laughs> but <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it was necessary uh, to, to be able to get that much more. They had to get louder. They just had to get louder. So what? So that's the 60s. Yeah. So what other, like, leaps in, in, in equipment or, like, maybe I want to ask you about, like, leaps in equipment uh, technology-wise, but also artists that utilize them in unique ways. Like, we were talking yeah, so, about, yeah. So, actually, I was going to, I was trying to come around to this. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, Pete Townsend, they say, is, is from The Who. They say was was credited to uh, bugging uh, Jim Marshall, who's, you know, Marshall Amps, I'm sure you've heard of. Yeah. Uh, so, Marshall, for a long time, only ever did 50-watt amps because they figured... That's loud enough. And I've played a lot of those old or even like, you know, modern uh, recreations of those old 50-watt Marshall amps, the JMP or Plexis. Uh, they are really loud. Like, I don't I don't know any people who can actually handle playing those things at full volume. They're, they're really loud. But, you know, when you're playing a stadium, half a million people, like, regularly, and their you know, PAs only can, can barely they handle the vocals you need that kind of power to project to the back of the room mm-hmm. right well, the who started playing all these big giant venues and they they found that the two even 250 watt amps wasn't enough so he started bugging jim marshall uh you gotta you know you say we need more power <laughs> so he finally uh they started doing the 100 watt versions and that's when like the, that was like you know 67 68 or somewhere around i don't know the exact timeline but it was before 1970 for sure but it was like you know after the Beatles. Yes. had kind of got popular and that's like when you see all those like videos of like Hendrix like you know breaking the stacks he's smashing his guitar up against the you know a lot of those are like those amps those 100 watt giant huge yeah st- make me this giant a huge amp expensive amp so I can smash it in front yeah. of you just ruin it man but so like uh, the who he was also the first guy that stuttered in a song apparently yeah, yeah, that that was really interesting. Apparently, that had a big cultural. Uh, yeah, like they were like, "What is he doing?" Yeah, well, everyone, because you know, and, 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 
they're like, well, two things, right? It was like, is it a mistake? Yeah. Why why did they leave a mistake in a recording? recording? <laughs> if you're gonna record it, you're gonna do it right, right? So there's that kind of whole element. That's like one of the first, they would say like one of the first like garage kind of things about elements to a song. Uh, and then the other thing is like all the, like the, he said it, it had to do with the tension. He was trying to build the tension on purpose. Like he admitted that, I guess, years later or whatever mm. that was like. Is he going to say something bad? Is he going to swear? Like, what is it? Yeah. You know, like, really cool. Uh, They were a really influential band, you know, for a lot of things, you know. And I I really like the whole uh, louder thing. (laughs) The whole idea of moving air on stage. Yeah. Uh, I've never really had a chance to play, like, a big festival or do anything too big, you know, mostly small bars and rooms. But, man, does it, it really makes a difference, even on those stages, to have a big powerful amp behind you versus this little, little tiny digital like oh, yeah. amp that's mic'd up going through the PA which is which is cool too if a lot of people can get away with that I I just can't I guess for my style of, of what I like to do so what is the style of music what, yeah what do you play like uh, oh oh rock? style of music. yeah well I play a lot of like uh, one band I play I play guitar and I play uh it kind of classified sometimes as stoner rock or like doom, doom metal. They call it. it's like pretty much just like heavy seventies style rock, kind of like Black Sabbath esque oh, kind yeah, of okay. stuff. Yeah, mostly heavy. A lot of riffs, a lot of distorted riffs. You know. Yeah. Just a, a riff is just like you know a, a couple, maybe sixteen bars or twelve bars, a phrase with notes. Yeah. Who are you Played influenced over. by in originally? I know I was. I know uh, you listen to was like uh, surf, surfy kind of rock, like punk rock and stuff, right? Yeah, I grew I grew up listening to a lot of punk. Um, like I first started off like in punk, and then I got really into like reggae and like kind of singer songwritery kind of acoustic stuff. And I found my voice and started learning that, finding out that I could actually sing and like writing and enjoying singing and like writing songs in my register and stuff like that. Yeah, so. Uh, I kind of had a pretty broad range. So I actually play in two bands right now. That band, uh, the kind of stoner Rocky band, is the band that I kind of started, and I play with some friends here in town. And then the other band, I joined this band called Onion Face. I play bass in that band, and that band's much more thrashy, very, like, almost on the punk rock kind of side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to kind of, like, you know, you say I really like that punk stuff. Um, so I like being able to do both. I like being able to play, like, more where you're more, like, traditional kind of classic structure and then play with this other band which is a little more off the wall kind of going all over the place yeah. so yeah so, so you, I, I, like, I like so many different styles of music man you gotta stay you gotta stay broad yeah i was gonna ask you like what did you did you always have a broad range of stuff like hip-hop or whatever anything you didn't like like a lot of people's like for me I'm, i kind of fit in that category where i'm like i like everything except country I don't know why I say that necessarily because it's not like if I listen to a country song that I didn't like I won't like any song but yeah something about the style that just doesn't j- jive with me. Well there's so many different uh styles of country too. Oh, true. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming you mean modern country. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, cuz like that old stuff is like it's almost like when you listen to it you're like this is country. Like this isn't country. You're using like like Hank Williams and like this isn't you know, this is just good music. Like, this is just like folk. It right, just, folk like, is. Yeah. It just sounds like folk music, but really, that's that's the origins of country, right? Um, but then when we hear like, yeah, like uh, singing about trucks and dirt roads and all that stuff, and they're pandering to these, these certain 
type. Yeah. It's pretty obvious, you know, but uh, yeah, I don't, I agree. I think that's the only, that's pretty much the only type of music that I don't really actively enjoy. Uh, most other music, even if I don't put it on myself, like I really like um, like house music and like that type of like uh, atmosphere of, uh, of like kind of party music. Mm-hmm. Although I may not like seek it out and listen to it myself. I really like when I'm like, at a, at a party or at, you know, at a, a bar and or something. something's like, going, yeah, something's yeah, going. And it's like good. This. And then, like, I can appreciate it when it's good. Like, you know, we, have, we all have preferences, right? But it's like, oh, I like this. This is mixed well. You know, I've got a good appreciation for production of music. As I've gotten older and, like, my bandmates in, in Onion Face, they're both, like, um, graduated uh, uh, audio engineers. They both, like, went to school and they're both, like, really into it. And they've taught me a lot, uh, whether it's through the process of recording music ourselves or even just helping them do stuff. I have a huge collection of amps, so I'll lend out my amps for their recording process and just kind of hang around and watch like how they do things. And, and, Oh, why did you, why did you put the mic over there like this? Oh, and then listen, then get to listen to it. Yeah. Now move the mic six inches out. Or another trip. Oh, that's, you know, um, you learn so much just being there. Right. So, uh, yeah, yeah. That's a really awesome thing. Uh, audio, recording and stuff like that it, to be in, involved in, in that aspect of it was is, is i'm super super lucky and uh happy my friends let me do it so uh yeah it, it's when having an appreciation for music in general i think is really important uh there's not too many styles that i don't enjoy other than like i said modern country uh um i really get into phases i don't know if you're like this but i get into like you know, I, I listen to like, I feel like it was like, I listen to punk a lot. Um, when I was like in grade, like, you know, seven, eight, nine, I had a really cool neighbor who, who let me hang out and, and showed me a lot of really cool stuff. Um, I know you used to listen to the dead Kennedys a lot. Was that still one of my favorite bands? I still like, I still go back. That's, that's I'll go back and listen to an album even listen to in like 10 years. And you're like, Oh yeah, this is so good. Like, but then even like, even like albums, I'll discover albums that I didn't realize I listened to. Like my dad would listen to a lot. You know, my dad really liked this band Little Feet, and I didn't realize how much of an obsession I had with this band until years later. Till even after listening to punk and stuff, I'd like listen to these albums, and I'm like, why do I know this melody so well? And then I would like go visit my dad or talk to my dad and be like, well, oh man, I'm in love with this album. He's like, I used to listen to that a lot when you were a baby or something, you know? Yeah. And I and I really feel like that is entrenched in me. That whole like kind of he listened to a lot of that classic rock kind of really he was really into that and even like folk and you know like bob dylan and that type of stuff but i got into punk after that was like the first music that i really seeked out and was like i like this i'm gonna listen to this although there was records at home and, and cds at home of my dad's and stuff i would listen to i remember like one of the first albums that i like actually was like i've got to get this was offspring's smash you know that one with like was that the first or yeah, that was like one of the first like records that I was like, I want that. And my dad was like, okay, and bought it for me at a flea market or something, you know? Um, so I was pretty skull young. on the cover or is that a different one? Yeah, the skeleton, yeah, the yellow skeleton on the front. Yeah, that has like come out and play and like self esteem and, and gotta get away on it. It was like the three like pretty popular songs and like that's a pretty punk rock album. Like I'll go back and listen to that pretty off, pretty often and like it's, it's it's oh yeah that's so good like I forgot this is like one of my fundamentals you know I should but probably that, go back and listen to it too because we used to bump it a, a bunch from like grade two and three and four and stuff right yeah yeah it was just great stuff I think we grew up in a weird time of music eh like the nineties yeah I was just gonna say like uh, when getting into hip hop right like I really love hip hop too like I know hanging out with you and like uh, 
re- actually Reed Reed Jenkins was one of the first guys to show me a lot of really cool like Aesop Rock and like nice you know like I think RJD two and like people like that like Campbell Ox and like the, the Def Jux the early Def Jux stuff you know yeah there was like a subculture of uh, uh, of us kids in the in the general area that kind of uh, listened to a lot of that underground hip hop it definitely pretty- permeated uh, our yeah, school. I- I got pretty entrenched in that stuff, um, and I still really enjoy like good, like a good. There's some really good hip hop artists here, even in Ottawa and stuff. Like, so doing live sound, I come across so many fantastic Canada's artists. Full of talent, man. Oh, it's nuts, man! And like, I was just listening, actually, just listening to the, the other podcast you had done, and you guys were talking about how you know you feel like there's these great artists. It's crazy when you see an artist and there's this one thing happening in the room, and you're like, no, and. And, like, you you witness this magic. Like, you feel the magic. It's moving through you, you know? Uh, and then you look you look to the guy beside you, and you almost want to, like, jump out of your chair and grab the guy and hug him because you're, like, you know? But then he's, like, looking at his phone or something. Yeah. Oh, so the, it happens, but I don't, I don't, I don't think that it's, like, uh, necessarily caught by all or, re- or registered by all, you know? Right. Yeah, no, it's uh... – yeah, I, the Canadian music uh, industry just kind of wigs me out. It's like yeah. there's a lot of talent, but I guess it's just a lower population. It's not like the States because we have 10th their population, and it's just people want different stuff, and only certain stuff gets uh, airtime. And I mean, even the stuff that's top 40 and whatnot, it gets yeah. it's pretty good. Like, it's well-done shit. I mean, look at – they're actually – I mean, we got Bieber, Drake, The Weeknd. Uh... I was just going to say, like, look at all these people who are, like, they're big, like, most places. There's a lot of Canadians who are, who are doing really well right now. It's true. There's, there's it, maybe, maybe it's not highlighted that they're Canadians, but, like, you know, yeah, it's crazy how many there are, are out there. But, you know, even, like, I was listening to, like I said, the other pod, the one that you just released, the other podcast, and uh, he was saying, you know, I don't know if it's a... Uh, if it's like this in Europe, but like, you know, I, I know firsthand from all my friends who go and play Europe and I know bands who can, can't get 50 people to come see them play in Ottawa. And then they go to Japan yep. or Europe and they play to 20,000, 30,000 people and they got groupies and they're getting offered free drugs. And it's like, well, the rock and roll lifestyle, I thought this was dead. Like yeah. <laughs> what? But apparently, man, they just love music over there and even my friend who's like more singer songwritery you know she's playing in 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 ireland and all these other places and she's playing and she's like oh yeah you know you go to this little cafe and it's like a normal cafe people drinking tea having a conversation on their phones but then when it when a when the artist starts service stops the tvs all turn off everybody turns and faces the artist and watches them play and listens to every word everybody claps that's so interesting um, to me, that's crazy, man. Like that seems that seems crazy to me. Like, I, what I, is it I, about I, Western culture? Is it is it when I say Western culture, I, I guess it's, I just mean North America. I know that Western yeah. means more than that, but uh, we're further west from what we're talking about. The Europe uh, is it this kind of uh, I think of the word entitlement, but I don't know exactly how to apply that. But it feels like there's this entitlement of our attention, right? Like we. At any kind of gathering or social or, or presentation or performance, like if we're fucking busy and we gotta be on our phone and you're playing, well, that's my prerogative, and you can play and I'll fucking listen to you in a second. You know what I mean? Well, I don't know. I don't know if that has much to do with it because, man, like I've never been to London, but like I'm, you know, from what I see and from everybody I talk to, 
is London any less busy than New York? You know, like, is that right? No, yeah, they're bustling busy cities. It's slower than in New York, you know? Like, I I think it has more to do with, as far as music and arts, I think arts in general, we are more entrenched in it. Like, think about how much we've been exporting. Saturated market of music, right? Yeah, we've been culturally exporting music for longer than most other countries, I would say. You know, like, or popular music anyway. You know, an era of popular music. Uh, more stuff has been taken from America. So, and I think it's just more common, like, oh, there's a bar band playing. Whereas, like, even in other countries and stuff, it's like to be that good, to be doing it is like, oh, wow, you've really put the effort forward to do it. And, and yeah, I, I don't, I'm not sure if it's solely that, but I think that has a lot to do with it, man. The that fact makes that sense. Yeah, so much of it comes from here. Yeah, we're just more used to it. It's more, it's just more every day than it is elsewhere. Yeah, so, like, what, I wanted to ask you, like, about that, actually, about your, like, when you play, if you're doing a crowd, I'll say, okay, so say you put on an event, yeah. say you're, like, you go to, go to Mikado's or whatever, I don't know who still does events, and, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, hey, I got some, some new stuff I really want to spin, I got this new set I put together, you know, I want to have, you know, a couple rappers come out or whatever, and then, like, another friend maybe open for me, yeah. you know, I need, like, five hours of a Saturday night or something like that. And you book the event, invite, invite all your friends, it's a, it's, a, it's a banging party, it's a good time. Is everybody, like, actually, like, up at the front listening to everything? Or is it more of, like, a relaxed people, like, walking around? Oh, uh, just- I'd say it's, like, probably 50-50 in a sense. Like, well, no, not, that's not really fair. I, I say a lot of the times at the shows that were banging and good, I'd say it was banging and good because the crowd was in full attention and and I guess that's part of your performance too right especially with hip hop you have to have presence stage presence is a huge aspect because when you're a guitar player like you know uh, you can be so flashy you're not you don't have to be even singing or or doing much but you're playing flashy stuff or you know what I mean and when you're a rapper you're just you're saying words so you gotta make it more interesting or else it's just poetry it's just spoken word right so rap is really in my opinion like uh, and then rappers will tell you this, like it's your stamina, it's your your cadence. There's so many things that go into you know stage presence. Uh, you know, lyrics aside, like you can get into the, the lyric part of it, but the, that performance is a whole other aspect of of it. And I I guess I'm going off on a bit of a tangent, but yeah, the crowd interaction when that is, uh, you got to demand it, right? And you got to tell them yeah. basically that hey, we're we're serious about this, whether it's that the music's good or that you're going to have a good time or that we, you know, like, here's an example. We did, uh, me and Marcel Mufik, we did, uh, our first joint album. We did couch fame and yeah, yeah. I lived at this house for real cheap for all summer one, one summer. And I just kind of was, uh, had a lot of free time. We had a whole room that we made into a studio and it was very like just a very free kind of time. And we had this couch on the porch and we would go in and record music and, and write songs. Then we'd go on the, on the, on the couch on the porch and like smoke joints, like deer would walk by in the middle of the night, like just, you know, random funny shit, talk shit. And it was such a good time that we were so real about it. We brought the fucking couch to the venue in a truck and put it on stage and wrapped on a couch. (laughs) Like who does that? That's so much oh, extra man, that's, work. That's, that's that's awesome. I think I saw. I remember seeing pictures of that. I remember that. That's uh, yeah. So that's, that that's one thing that the crowd was like, "Oh, they brought a couch on stage. Like what? Like it's, yeah, it's not really." And they thing. see the album couch. Part yeah. of the thing. Yeah. 
And it's kind of a funny concept because it, it's one of those things you can tell it probably means something to us, more of like an inside joke, because it doesn't necessarily make sense right off the bat. Like, it's kind of like, what does that mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you guys took a bunch of pictures of you, like, underneath, like, a hydro tower or something sitting on the couch. Yeah, yeah, that was by the Penn Center, that, that big field there. Just, like, we we put it yeah, out there in the yeah. field and, yeah. <laughs> you could just tell we were having fun, right? Like, that, and, and that's what translates through some of those songs is a lot of them, they're kind of, like, quirky and, you know, they're not, like, super, super tight professional rap tracks. But, I mean... You know, I, I wasn't that good at producing. I'm still learning and getting better. But so at the time, you just hear this this kind of underground, uh, but a charming underground sound. You know what I mean? Like I like underground yeah. music. I, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be super well produced. And uh, uh, you know, do you know what I mean? Like anything you find online, say you stumble across some nobody from Seattle that's just starting out, and he's like his stuff's not up to par. But you're like, hey, I can tell he's got something there, and I like it. Yeah, you know what though, like, and I, I agree, and there's definitely like a degree of that that I can really appreciate. But at the same time, there's the opposite where there's these bands that I think have great, you know, like you hear them, oh, you see them live, oh, these guys are great, man, like great stage presence, good songs. I have to check them out. Mm-hmm. Go check out their Bandcamp. Oh, this album was recorded at look this studio by this guy. I've never heard of this guy, but it looks professionally done. And you listen to it, and it's like, oh man. This is pretty substandard recording quality for like the, the level of the band, or or not even substandard quality, but this doesn't do justice to what I saw on the stage. Uh huh. It's almost like they brought, they took, the, they went to whoever producer or whatever, and they're like, "I have these songs, can you record us?" And the guy was like, "Sure." Yeah. And they just recorded the songs. Like it, it, they didn't get to know the artist. They didn't understand the sound that they was. I mean, granted, maybe that band had had changed their sound, or maybe they they were responsible for that. Ultimately, they maybe they went to the producer and said, "That's what we want it to sound like." No, 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 no. That doesn't sound. That sounds like what we're playing live. We want it to sound more like it's in the studio, you know, or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. It, uh, I think that it's knowing what your art needs, and you know, a lot of underground hip hop, like leaving the needle scratch in on the on the sample. Like, come on, man! Like a lot of it is like so overdone. Like you don't need to like. Okay, we get it. You know, it's a, it's a, yeah. We get it. You're using a record from the fourth, but even you listen to stuff and it's like you, there's no way you actually sample a record. Like you're using a sample of a sampled record. Oh wait, it's explain like, that again. So you mean when you hear a scratch that is uh, like they sampled the song, but they left the scratch in from the original song? Is that what you're saying? Or like or like the popping of the of the needle, like oh, this is clearly a record that was like somebody found in the dollar bin, but it's like got that one really cool horn line on it, so they sampled it over and over again, like for like a you know gang star record or something like that, which is like dope and like when it was done in like the nineties and stuff and then in the late eighties when it was like that's all they had and that's what they used to make records, but then they it's kind of an aesthetic now, you know, it's it's like a trope. It's like a oh, thing. Okay, that yeah, it's a it's a hip hop trope. So they're just like re, it's basically they're just rehashing old. Like, okay, we've seen this before. I, that's what bugs me about people when in the hip hop community when they say, "I want that boom bap." Like, I want the I miss the '90s, man. If the fucking '90s are over, okay, it's 2016. Yeah. Like, uh, I guess go listen to uh, '90s music and die. Like, for, <laughs> like no, yeah. but we'll listen to Ghostface and curl up, man. Like. No, but I mean, hey, who doesn't love the 90s shit? Uh, in oh, hip-hop, I mean, come on, that's when it all formed, basically. That's the that's the, the Mount Rushmore's of hip-hop are from, I mean, I guess okay. people there would say the golden era. You got Mount Rushmore's of hip-hop in each era, right? But I'm saying, like, yeah, 
the forefathers of our current. But what is rap today? Like, I don't even, it's so. Well, I was going to ask you, like, while we're on this, like, kind of this tangent, do you find that when you go back and listen to some albums from like the, the from like the late eighties or early hip hop albums, some of the early hip hop is hard to listen to, man. In what like in what way? It's, it's, like it's bad. It's like oh fuck. Like the hit. This is so horny, man. It's like watching comedians or something. It's like this. This isn't funny. But that's kind of what it was, good. though. It, 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 I, that's what's interesting. I think it's all that cool Herc era and and the busy B yes. battles and all that was. It started off as not comedian, but being a, a host and being the. MC, the sort of the host of the uh, the host of the song. The song was playing, the DJ was playing it, and you were, you know, come on everybody in the place to be. Check it out. It was all just catered yeah. to the crowd and crowd work, and 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 then people started to develop in you know the dissing, the battling, and then the lyrics became more complex. But yeah, like so, in what other ways is it hard to listen to production value? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, but. I think the beats are probably the best part of it. The fact that it's like the early part of All early the break beats and like, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's mostly just, it's mostly just the, yeah, the lyrical content and like how it's delivered. And it's so like, it's so corny. Well, cause this, we're, yeah, <laughs> sorry, yeah, sorry to interrupt you, but we're so used to like, uh, uh, we've just seen all this complex shit. We grew up with it, the, the, the changing of it, the evolving of it. And now we almost, we expect what we should, we just need to, when you listen to that music, you have to just remember that it's from, a previous time, right? It's not, they didn't see Nas and Biggie and all this different, they, they were in the past. It was just, there was less to work with, I guess, in the genre, right? It's true. It's true, right? It's, it's like people talk about all these other musicians of the past being the greatest ever at that, at that instrument. It's like, well, I guarantee that's not true because there's definitely going to be somebody who's come along who's better, just maybe not discovered, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, uh, I totally like think that some of the hip hop holds the test of time. Like some of that early, like like I mean, the tribe stuff still like you could timeless. Yeah, people release stuff that still sounds like that, and it's still good, you know. Yeah. Um, but but then yeah, like modern hip hop, some of it is like. But I think this can be said with most music. And this is the other thing, people shitting on so much modern music oh man it's all just garbage it's all garbage it's like go back to any time any period and look what was on top of the charts i guarantee you at least a third of it you know and it varies from era to era from decade to decade at least a third of it is like you wouldn't like like, garbage you know look at the stuff that was even like you know i love looking up what was like the billboard 200 and this you know this week in 1965 i love doing that too yeah, and some of them, they're like, oh, I never even knew about this guy. Oh, cool, early instrumental jazz. And then some of it's just, like, terrible ballads and, like, oh, like, Ooh, let yeah. the heart begin and, like, all this, like, oh, dreadful stuff. But it was popular. People loved it, you know? It can like make I you said, cry. Some of the, how commercial, not in a, not even in an emotional, sad way. It could just make <laughs> you cry in this kind of, uh, your Again, yeah, like, 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 the early hip-hop is corny. Like, it's hard to listen to. But it, at the time, it, Nobody ever heard that, right? So it was like, oh, that's oh that's my god. Corn, talk about corniness when we're talking about the '90s. We lived through the corniest, arguably. I don't know what the corniest decade of music is. It could be the '90s, yeah, just on, based on the boy band factor. Yeah, the boy band, the boy band factor, and the and like yeah, the just just some of the pop in general was kind of not that polished, right? I mean, even in the '80s, like I used to hate '80s music. <laughs> But there's some really good stuff in there, man. Like my bandmate in uh, in Big Mo, and the other band I play in, uh, band I play guitar, and he uh, he's in a lot of '80s synth stuff. Like he loves Hall and Oates and that stuff. And I like used to never listen to that. Fucking stuff. love Hall and Oates, man. Oh my god, I just kind of got into it, right? Like 
I can't go back now. Like, oh, come on. It's so good. And it's just like watching videos of them performing. And it's just like, it's undeniable. Like, it may not be. Maybe there's too much reverb on the snare. Okay. Yeah, you know? yeah, a little bit. But look but, at them in pictures. It's fucking corny as hell. Look yeah. at the way they dress, the hair, the everything. Uh... Yeah, some of it holds the test of time more than I think the '80s are pretty cheesy for that. Like, because there's some pretty badass stuff in the '90s, like you know the grunge stuff going on versus there was all that pop stuff, but there was a lot of grunge stuff. Oh, too. there was definitely a, a two. There was definitely two streams of things going on. The '90s was very like culturally tur- tumultuous. Is that how you say that word? <laughs> like uh, the yeah the underground vibe that was going on with the grunge and everything, and just even hip hop, right? The the abrasiveness and the giving you the real scoop on what's going on in the hood and different things like that. That and the the, the media versus hip hop and the media versus this. I mean that had been going on since Frank Zappa and uh, Van Halen and were chastised on CNN back in the day too. If for you know hot for teacher this and that. Every song was like oh it's the devil. Yeah, Chipper Gore going after them and all that stuff. Oh yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. C- CNN uh, Crossfire with Frank Zappa. If you, anybody listening, go look that up. It's awesome. Oh, it's uh, yeah. I think most Frank Zappa quotes that I've ever seen or read, most interviews, are just spot on. He's such a like, genius. Yeah, he's probably one of my musical heroes. Like, I think he's, as far as even, like, lead guitar playing, he's probably my biggest influence. He's one of the guys that, like... There's very few artists that I'll go back and well, maybe it's just because he's got such a category, such a catalog of music and such, you know, wide variety. But like, I'll go listen to an album. It's like, oh, I didn't know know this Zappa album. You put it on and you hear something, you're like, man, whether it's the tone or the phrasing or how he plays it or, you know, the notes in between, the silence in between what he plays, it's all those things that he continually inspires me. And, you know, and I don't think there's many artists. And, the, and he's dead. <laughs> That's the crazy thing is that like he's there's he still inspires me. You know, uh, yeah. There's not too many artists. I think that on uh, that level. He he. Wait, he is dead, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's super dead. Yeah, super dead. How, how did he die again? Heart uh, can- cancer. Oh, cancer. Yeah, that's what it yeah, was. Yeah, I love smoking that guy. He's like. Uh. He's- yeah, he was like, it's a, it's a vegetable. It's my favorite vegetable. I think that was the one. His one downfall. Yeah, he was too foolish. He was convinced that he's convinced. Yeah, he was convinced that the public campaign against tobacco was a sham. You know, because you know, I, you know, conspiracy. You know, I, I don't know how. Really, like he didn't <laughs> think it was bad for you. Like he's one of those uh, people that yeah. says the secondhand uh, smoke things bullshit. The yeah. studies were botched. Yeah, he was one of those guys. Yeah. Oh. Uh, just you know, smell it. Just smell this shit. Yeah, I don't want that in my lungs. It's his one downfall. Okay, yeah, let's yeah. forgive Frank. Yeah, he had one fault. That song "Smoke on the Water" is about one of his um, what? One of his shows that got burned down by some. Yeah, some sucker with a flare gun. I believe is the line. Damn. <laughs> yeah, no. So, yeah, it was uh, Montreal. They went to record Deep Purple went to record with the mobile truck that the Rolling Stones had used. And, uh, yeah, it was at the Frank Zappa and the Mother's Invention show. Somebody set the roof on fire with a flare gun. By accident, of course. You know, it wasn't like malicious. <laughs> yeah. And then they made that song, which just became a classic, classic. A classic hit. It's the first song that everybody learns on guitar. Isn't that crazy? You know, you probably know how to play it on guitar. Probably do. I, if I haven't had a guitar for a bit, but uh, yeah, you used, play, you used to play guitar. I remember you had a guitar for a while. Yeah, I, I used to have one kicking, either acoustic or electric. Uh, I want to get one back again. Uh, I don't know why. You know, like, do you ever... see one too, man. Like when we were in, like we had you had a party at your place. For it was the only time I'd ever been to your place, it was like your parents' place in the North End. Yeah, the time I'd ever been there, and I just remember you had this like badass guitar. I was like, where did you get this? Yeah, it was like Ibanez. Yeah, that one. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think Brandon Clark helped me pick that out. And then, uh, I fuck, yeah, I had that for a while. I don't know why I sold it, man. I, I think I was broke. That's why I sold it. <laughs> it happens. But then when you're, when you're broke and you sell your guitars, and then you make some loot, and you're like, I need a guitar again. And then you buy one, then you get broke, and you sell it. Not yeah. speaking for you, but some people get broke and have to sell their guitars. I don't know. It happens, you know. Yeah, no, not for me. Music, music is important for me. I would never. I would always have. I mean, I have a bunch of guitars now, but there's like a few that I think I would never get rid of. You know. Oh, now you're making me feel guilty, Calvin. Uh, well, no, well, that's not your main bag, right? <laughs> no, but I did like, use, use it up for sampling a lot. I would sample. That's a lot. Yeah. How I made a lot of my beats. Uh, if you that's know. not corny. That's not corny. I had a DJ friend here tell me that was corny. What? I was like, yo, you should record some. I have these. I made this sick guitar pedal. It does all these crazy noises. You should record some of it and use it in some of your songs. You're like, nah, man, that's corny. People don't do that shit anymore. Oh, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It, it, okay, cool. I'm gonna, all right, I'm going to show him this clip after. Yeah, well, because it's, it's all how you use it. I mean, I, I don't write – I don't make – I'm not a wicked guitar player, but I don't make corny riffs. Like, I, I know how to make, like, cool little melodies and stuff, and it's the way you, you cut it up and how you layer it, and uh, you put it to a, a, a nice beat. Like, you can make it sound dope, you know? You can make anything sound dope. Like, I don't even really do sampling of records, and I know guys that are masters of it, and – I kind of don't understand how they do it. And even though I have been producing hip hop music for like, uh, you know, many years, like, uh, oh, I tried to put a number on it, but you could, I couldn't. That's why I, thought, I was thinking like yeah. maybe like eight, maybe like eight or nine years, I guess. Yeah. On and just off. round it off. Just make yourself look sound. 10. 10. Yeah. One decade, a full decade. Yeah. Full decade. Nah, but, uh, yeah. How is how is the scene down there? How are things down there, man? Like I've been I lived in Ottawa for like like six or six years. Like man, grew up in St. Catharines with a high school with you. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then I I moved like in two thousand and nine or two thousand ten. I want to say yeah, two thousand ten. And uh, I come back and visit, but I don't really like come, like immerse myself. You know. Like, yeah. I, you know, how are things down there, like, musically? Uh, it's interesting. I mean, I would say there's a lot of music popping off. I wouldn't necessarily say that, like, hip-hop is big at all here. Uh, I would say a few years ago, there was some shows and different events. Like, there might be, like, three or four or five, like, dope hip-hop events throughout the year. Now you got some. You got uh, Bergsma's doing My Son the Hurricanes. So that's, like, a, a brass, like, a nine-piece brass band with He's the Rapper. Oh, um, oh yeah, I know. I know. I used to work with the drummer Dano. He was my boss for a while at Spiritual Smoke. Oh yeah, Dano's Dano's cool. Yeah, we just went and saw them out in um, uh, Fort Erie. There, yeah, but- I hooked them up actually. With I actually hooked them up with the owner. I caught them in connection anyway with the owner of a sweet venue out here, and they played out here. So. Oh, cool. Yeah, they did a tour there, right? But um, yeah, like other stuff. Like, there's a lot of underground guys. There's some talent here, hip hop wise, but it's a lot of just. You know, they got a SoundCloud and they put it up there. They don't. There's not a lot of people organizing events like like me and Marcel. Uh, you know, we kind of when we made little albums, we would just do our own hustle and we would go to the venues and and talk to people and get our own little events popping and, and make the flyers ourselves and do all that kind of groundwork. But you can do groundwork, but like people got to go to Toronto to kind of make connections as far as musicals. In my opinion, maybe I, I'm you know I'm not an expert on it either, but. Just from what I see around St. Catharines, hip-hop has always been a bit marginalized. Even when they throw it up with scene, fast, and different things. You know, well, we had Dell, the Funky Homo Sapien. That was probably the peak of uh, hip-hop around here. Let a, yeah. Who else and, played and, that was big? And, and, and Buku did that piece of the legal wall. Yeah, that was seven. dope. Yeah, that was dope. But, and, uh, yeah, well, I mean, so you find, I mean, I guess it's mostly just work ethic because a lot of it is, like, 
it's just like there's no reason why these people should if they if they're doing good music man if they got good stuff like there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to like put on an event even if it's at a small cafe in front of like 20 or 30 people man like mm-hmm. every one of those people pays five bucks to get in to see them and one or two other rappers and you know or whatever just that's something you know like get and then it grows from there and then like you don't always just need to go to a bigger city to play you that's know? true that's true um it's very strange though because i guess there's a the demand for hip hop around here is oddly not that big because like a lot of the venues don't even DJ they don't have hip hop DJs ever like they have you know sort of DJs that play a bit of everything but they a lot of the venues sort of frown upon uh, playing a lot of hip hop and I find even the, a lot of the young Brock students and stuff are not that that into it they're more into the house and, and kind of electronic scene maybe you know right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's kind of just the trend in general. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. But yeah, I guess it's all scale, right? Just because you guys are, you know, just St. Catharines is a bit, or just the Niagara region in general is a little smaller, so. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, Ottawa's like a million people, so we got quite a thing, uh, music scene up here, man. Is like, there rap some, up there? Like, what kind of rap's coming out of Ottawa? I don't even know any Ottawa artists, really. Yeah, well, there's, there's like, a lot of... Uh, through like they're playing festivals and like doing all the events and they're getting asked to do more gigs than they can, you know, schedule that type of thing. I think I think that is kind of a, at least somewhat of a marker of success. I mean, if you're like, sorry, I really like to do your event, but I'm already playing a festival, you know, uh, that, that's that's pretty good, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your demand, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, so there, there's there's a bit of hip hop. It's more of that modern type of stuff. You know what I mean? Of course, a little. I mean, like, Heard referred to as like mumble rap or whatever. Oh yeah, so, so, there's some mum, there's some mumble rappers. There's the whole like swarm. The you know there's more rappers on stage than there are people in the crowd. Are they type. white guys or black guys or Puerto Rican? Oh, Chinese mix everything. Just a mix, eh? Yeah, actually, there's this one. There's this one really cool DJ who I think he's Korean, and he like always brings out this crew of like Korean of like homies, and they're always like dressed really well. Like they're dressed like proper Asian, like. And, you know, but then, like, when the music starts, they're totally, like, rocking out and drink. They, like, put their glasses, take their glasses off and put them on the table and start, like, rocking out. It's pretty Man, that's sick. I like yeah. that. Yeah. There, there is a good community. Like, that's what I mean when I was saying, like, I'm surprised more people don't just put stuff on together themselves. Because there's artists who, like, I get into work and I talk to the promoter who put on the show. And I'm, there, I'm like, oh, what band's playing? And they're like, oh, this is the band. This is their tech requirement. This is what they need. I'm like, okay. So I'll set up for them and while I'm waiting for them to set up or whatever, I'll check them out on Facebook. Well, they only got a hundred likes. They started their page like two years ago. So they don't have that much of a following. They don't really, they got a couple demos up. Okay. So then, you know, you, you, you kind of write them off as an amateur, maybe in your head. Right. But then, but then a hundred people show up yep. to see them play. And they're like, well, this is like my whole family, my cousin, my aunt, you know, whatever. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it's good. They're there. They really like your music. They know every word. They're partying. Sometimes it's bad. They're there to support you. Moral support. And they'll just talk, <laughs> and they'll just talk over your song. Oh, just, that's terrible. And, and that's, I, I think, I don't know if it's just in Ottawa or like North American general goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the whole like appreciation of music. But some nights it's hard for me to do my job because there's people just talking so loudly that's like right next to the sound booth, you know, they're like at a table talking, trying to have a conversation. Yeah, you know, while the band's playing. <laughs> How dare they? Oh, it just gets so it gets difficult, man. Like, yeah, that's that's that's, that's interesting though. Um, yeah, the whole thing about performing your music and and 
uh, just people being written off and stuff. Uh, like when we did Scene Fest one year, we had me crumble and Mufik, uh, and we just like the white white boy looking guys, you know. And I guess this girl uh, I know, uh, Tanya, she she writes for for, for different Toronto uh, magazines, uh, music stuff. So she was covering Scene, and she did a write up about us. And it was pretty cool because she was just saying, you know, these guys look like I, ex- I expected the typical white boy rap kind of stuff, whatever that means. And, uh, you know, she's like, I was I was very surprised by what they actually had to offer because, you know, we our shit isn't typical. We might not be the most professional or on point all the time, whatever. But when we really are in a groove, not I mean, I was just a hype man. I, I don't write lyrics or anything. I just but I did my job, too. Right. Like I. I was a good fucking hype man, man. I still am, but I haven't done uh, many shows lately. But I get into it, you know. I, I it's the flavor flavor stuff, right? Yeah. And uh, just their talent and stuff, and just we jumping around, and sometimes we're like really in sync with, and like we're almost like a boy band in that with our dance moves and stuff. We just like you know do little flips and stuff or whatever in the moment. And when you really bring that, and no, it doesn't matter if you have a small crowd or, or you know, I think this one was like 80 people or something in a small venue, which still makes it nice and uh, nice and packed. But yeah. you just, yeah, you can, when you're just really feeling it and you just deliver that, that sound, you can, you can come off as, uh, as, as professional to people, you know, it's all about, it's just all about the feeling, right? It's not always about, uh, about the sound. It's all, I'm kind of rambling, but it's just, yeah. And then it makes me think of the, the, the amp stuff that you do. It's like, uh, you need that raw talent and you want it to come through as pure as possible, but you want to and not overdo it, but in, and not maybe even enhance it. Enhance, is that the word for it? Or would you yeah, call it something so. else? Yeah. You want to present it in, in the the right format. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, a, a big part of, of performing well is like, I mean, maybe it's not as much in, in hip hop, right? Because it's just like a mic, essentially, a mic and a good sound system. But like with with instrumental music, music that has instruments and playing live, the equipment you use, I feel directly relates to. Or okay, so the the, the comfort, I should say, the comfort of the equipment you use directly relates to how well you will perform. Like oh, if you go. Yeah, like if you are like, oh man, I gotta go show up to this gig right from work. I can't bring my amp that I normally play through, uh, but they had they said they have one there I can use. Okay, so you show up and you plug into it, and it's nothing like you can't get a sound that you're familiar with. I, you probably you probably won't play as well as you would if it was your amp, because right? Just, because the psychological aspect of it, like you just kind of the performance doesn't come off as yeah. Well, yeah. Well, have you ever been? Have you ever played? The show where you like there's nothing like say the monitor's broken or you can't you can't oh, hear well, yeah. things right i gotta show you there's a, yeah one of our music videos at the beginning it's just uh, you can hear this it's just us on stage outdoor and you can hear this like buzzing and it's me and marcel on the mics and we're trying to like talk to the sound guy and we're marcel goes can you fix that and he's like it's the laptop and then marcel's like oh it's the laptop like what the fuck? Like fix it, and then it goes into the song. It just shows like kind of how amateur we have been at some shows. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, nothing's yeah. nothing's tight, and yeah, something. I guess yeah, you just get this, this buzzing noise, and 
Well, even even if you're like, even if you can recover from that, right? Even if you're like, ah, oh, it's all good, you can laugh it off. You probably didn't perform the same yes, way. Yes, no, you and we didn't. No, and maybe that's... it takes you longer. It, yeah, maybe it takes you longer to get into the groove. Maybe you don't get into the groove in the same way or as deep as you would have if it, you just plugged in and it was banging, you know, right away. Yeah. And uh, a lot of what I do, as far as building or modifying equipment for people. Whether it's just general maintenance, like, oh, I brought this guitar on the road with me for six months and obviously it's been beaten up, it needs to be worked on, you know, I sweat in it and the electronics need to be cleaned. Or it's like, I need a brand new amp built from the ground up because I do, I like to do it all. So if somebody's like, I just finished building an amp for a guy uh, today, actually, or yesterday, actually, and uh, he came to me with an idea, like, this is the amp I want. I want this type of thing with, I want to achieve this this and this. I'm like, all right, I'll build it for you. And, and he's so stoked. Like he's so excited for it. Like, so it's going to make him perform better when he gets it. That increases his comfort. It's sort of his, which will increase his stage presence and all that, which it just affects the, the, even just the playing, the instrumentation. And it comes full circle, right? Like when he, he has an amp of mine already. This is actually the second amp. Uh, I built this one for him. The other one he, I had built and he got it from me. And uh, it, but like it all, all comes full circle when he calls me or messages me a day after playing a gig and is like, man, I used your amp last night for the first time. And like strangers in the crowd were coming up to me and telling me that I like sounded great and was playing great. And that's awesome. He's like, I think I, he's like, I think I played better because I just sounded better. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's totally it. Yeah, makes, yeah. Yeah, it makes me happy, man. It's the reason why I do this. Like, even if you know I don't make a ton of money doing it, I just I I love doing it. It's a passion, you know. Yeah, man. You found something that you love doing. You can make money. That's the key. Yeah, it's so hard for people though. I struggled with it for so long. Like, I'm very lucky that right now, I, most everything I do is creative or fun, and you know, I'm able to make money off it, which is great. Yeah, you're doing freelance graphic design stuff now. Yeah, I do freelance graphic design. I DJ and like nights and weekends uh and then i yeah i work full-time at a sign shop so it's a lot of you get to see a lot of hands-on stuff and printing large format stuff and yeah just do like logo work on the side and whatnot little little side jobs oh that's very cool man yeah i think being creative as a creative person um i think having anything to stifle that creativity can it like only it, it like any immediate stifling of that creativity only like will further exasp you know it only make it worse like if you if you're like at a shitty day job and you like oh have this idea whether it's like oh, uh, oh i just had this great idea of how these two colors would play with each other and make this great painting or it's like i got this great beat or this great line in my head i gotta write down but you're like no you but you're stuck working at esso like i used to think about <laughs> yeah i used to work at a wine rack but it was, it was the worst uh, you know and the same thing right you just you feel like oh and then like when you're oh, well, oh i gotta remember that when the shift's done or whatever you gotta write down a note for yourself it never is the same as when you like get home after like four hours later five hours later and you're like oh, i'm just not in the mood to create right now oh i totally feel that man it just energy levels from that are different uh yeah just what kind of racking your brain all day at, at this monotonous job whatever it might be i think uh getting rid of barriers to your creativity is I guess a very like individualized experience and everybody has their own way of doing it. For me, I like to, I, it's a bit of OCD maybe, uh, but I like to have everything in my life very particular, like, uh, just comfort things like having a coffee at the, at the right time. Or like, uh, I, I have a weird thing with like 
this is a total tangent, but having my uh, de- electronic devices charging and plugged in, like little things that kind of organize my thoughts and, and yeah. keep giving me a, a sort of a stream of consciousness that I can constantly be thinking about whether like music or something else. Like I have these this creative stuff and I try to stay cl- as close to it in my mind as possible throughout my day and throughout, you know, even sleeping, like dreaming. I dream about music and, you know creative shit like it's you gotta yeah. if you work at a day job that, that sucks yeah you're making money which that could fuel your creative products too but it's keeping your mind f- kind of focused on on creating if you want to be a creator yeah and there's some people you know and i used to like always think you know you, you're so black and white it's like either you're an artist and you create or you're one of them or, or you're a consumer right yeah you're a pleb <laughs> yeah 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 but uh <laughs> There are guys I know who like work construction jobs. I mean, do they love breaking their ass and sweating in the sun all day? Like, I don't know. It can be rewarding. Find satisfaction out of their jobs, but I mean, they're musicians. They'll they'll. But they're not. They're not the type of guys who like. Oh man, I'm stuck at my job all day. Like, they can very much break it down. They can be creative and they can do their thing, but they can section it off. I think every like you said, it's very individualized, right? Like everybody's so different. Yeah, it's um, it's hard to say that there's one way to to yeah to. I guess what I'm trying to describe is be being creative or wanting to be creative, but not being able to either get your stuff out or get it made in the first place. Like everybody talks about writer's block or different. Uh, you know conditions that these artists and and musicians uh, face or whatever it might be that like you said just stifles creativity like what is that why is why does stuff stifle our creativity is it just our brain power like we can't yeah. I think I think it's just the brain man I think it's us psyching ourselves out like things easily you can easily overwhelm yourselves like I mean you've been producing music for like long enough to probably be able to reflect on even like the first year or two years you were doing it and you'd like find out something and you'd be like, Oh wow. Whoa. Next level. There you go. Whoa. Yeah. Just learning. I gotta, I gotta take like a month to figure out what a, a plugin, what's a plugin. What yeah. Is, yeah. You know, and like, or even like with music, you know, like you see, you know, somebody, okay. They took guitar lessons for like three years. They've got their acoustic guitar. They're great. They've got their scales. They can play their, you know, and then they're like, Oh, they're all oh, sweet. I'm going to shop for an electric guitar. Awesome. They don't really go to the music store much or whatever. The parents like, I'm going to take you to the music store, take you down hundred different types of guitars and every different color. Oh, what do I want? And the guy at the music store is there. Is like, well, you should buy this $3,000 Gibson Les Paul. And it's like, that's what all your heroes used. But it's like, is that, you know, it, yeah. How do you make the best so, sound? Could it be a shitty little guitar you found in a dumpster? Like maybe. Man, I gig with a hundred dollar guitar. Like I, <laughs> I, I, you know, I've upgraded it and like you know fixed it up a little bit and polished it up. But like at the end of the day, it's like I value it as still as like a hundred fifty dollar guitar. Like yeah. And one of the why I gig with it is because of that and it because it's comfortable to me. And I used to always be overwhelmed. It took me years to understand that. Like it's about what you're comfortable with. It's, Again, it's like the equipment you're comfortable with. Like, if you're good making boot beats on Fruity Loops and it sounds good, like, who cares if people say that's that shit? Oh man, you, you, oh man, you don't use cool, you don't use, you don't use whatever, you don't use Adobe, you don't use, you know, it's like, no, man, like, I use what's good, I use what sounds good. And it's the same with, uh, it's the same with musical equipment. Yeah. But people can get old problems really easy, right? With like how much stuff is out there how much to be oh man a single coil pickup versus a humbucking pickup how many knobs you know what what style what colors uh, the neck a different type of wood why does that matter does it matter yeah, yeah, yeah. that's so, overthinking at that point right 
Well, yeah, totally. And then it's it's like if you don't have somebody to kind of guide you along the way, like a lot of people, like I, I didn't come from a very musical family. Like my fam- my my parents both love, love music and they both like grew up going to concerts and doing all that stuff and they still both re- regularly enjoy new artists and stuff like that. They're showing me stuff sometimes. and uh, uh, But they didn't play music at all. So I remember like my first bass I got, my uncle and aunt gave me. And like I remember selling it to get another bass that was like probably worse than the one that I, and like nobody even knew enough to tell me. Even like my bass teacher at the time was like a really good teacher. He had like super high end stuff, like brand new Fender, expensive basses, and like I wish I kept that bass because looking back, like it's like an it was like an old Japanese made in the seventies viol like violin shaped bass, like the kind like uh, Paul McCartney played, mm. but it was. It wasn't like the same type. Like he didn't play a Japanese one. He played like a Hoffner or a British one. But like this was like a, a meant to be like a design after that style one. And I sold it for like 150 bucks or something like that or whatever you know, like to buy exactly how much it cost to buy a new bass. Yeah. And nobody. I wish. I wish somebody told me like don't do that. Like don't even because even when I sold it, there was still like a there was people who knew enough to be like, no man, that's cool. Keep that. You know. And I wish that there was more of that. Myself, I'm trying to figure out somehow to reach out to the Ottawa community a little more um, as far as maybe doing a workshop or like something like that where it would be like really simple like, oh, this is this is like a, a distortion pedal. Like this is how a distortion pedal affects your sound. These are like the basic type of, of amplifiers, you know, basically just try to not ram it down their throats but show them and explain them. And if they the benefits questions. of each thing and how, yeah. How they differ, why you might want them, why you might not want them. If I think the main thing is like people who are not satisfied with the sound, you know, like oh, it's too trebly, it's too bassy. Well, you should know why and how you should change that. Like I, I get artists who are like I do sound for them and they're amazing, they're incredible. Like they can play up and down the neck and they know their songs. They're great singers. They're they're fantastic with the rest of the band. But they're, compl- they're oh my guitar's too trebly. Well, you're on the bridge pickup. Like you're on the Pick, you're on the trebliest pickup. Why don't you just change the pickup, or why don't you roll your tone knob down like that? The tone knob rolls off high end. Why don't you? Like they don't know enough to roll. And I, I'm not blaming. Yeah, them. no, I'm, not, I'm like that. I, I was kind of a, you know, I'm still like that. Like I don't know all those terms. You kind of guess what you're referring to when you're, you're, you're yeah. you know, the terminology. I, I think I know what I'm talking about. But yeah, well, if I was ever playing guitar live, I wouldn't necessarily, yeah, know how to use all that stuff in the right, uh, right way. And there's nothing wrong with like not knowing. Obviously, you like, have to I think start from not knowing. Part. That's how you know. You start with not knowing, and then you learn, and then you know things. But going back to the whole, it can get overwhelming thing. It's the same. that's another whole aspect of it. Is like when you do meet somebody who, you know, people don't just easily share the knowledge to. They'll just they'll they'll make you seem like an idiot, right? They're like, roll the tone knob down, dummy. And I have yeah. to admit, like, I was like that. <laughs> I was like that at first, too, right? But now I'm, like, understanding the more artists I see who are incredible, who know, they just don't know about their equipment. And uh, I want to reach out. I want to help them, you know? And a lot of them get, when I approach them, they, they see it as, like, a, a like I'm, I'm trying to make them sound like they're not good, you know? Like, oh, I'd really like to, I'd really like to help you get a better sound. And like, oh, you're going to sound like shit. It's like, no, no, but you could sound better. And yeah. they're like, oh, well, you, what makes you think that you're the... So, you know, it's finding that balance of, like, I got to do what I want to do, make a name for myself, like, as a, you know, a sound guy or whatever, an amp tech or an amp builder or whatever. And uh, and if people want to reach out and get 
that sound, then I can help them get it. You yeah, know? well, you so if you put that out there, that's all you can do. And for someone who's yeah. really serious about music, any think of any situation in music history where a great artist, uh, young artist come, that later went on to become a great, say maybe met someone in the industry that gave them advice, and they they would never uh, have said, you know, whoa, who do you think you are? They would always take the advice, and that's how they become greats. Like, I don't know, name us anecdote. Uh, David Bowie or anybody who these guys, like, you know, when they were early on, they they obviously took all the best advice they were given humbly. Oh, yeah, that's some of my favorite stories are listening to, you know, rock stars talk about meeting their heroes, whether it's somebody of the time or somebody previous, you know, like listening to, like, Ginger Baker, the drummer from Cream, talk about meeting Phil Seaman, his like his jazz hero, his drumming hero, and having he, you know, Phil Seaman took him back to his dank little apartment and showed him African drumming for the first time. And uh, Ginger Baker's got a, an obsession with African drumming, right? Like he, it's like his like he moved to Africa for a while. I think he still lives there actually. He's had like you know only African wives and all that stuff. Like he's really into the culture and into the music. Like he was talking, you know, you hear him talk about how he had tears rolling down his eyes for the first time listening to this music in this like dank apartment with this like junked out jazz drummer. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. What do you think about the fact that so much, so much music or 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 so many popular artists, a lot of the songs that we hear from them are often you know, reworks by or suggested riffs or melodies by these unseen characters in music history that only people who are a bit higher than a layman have got into. Like I was reading about Roger Niles, I think his name is, the guy who, I think he worked with a lot of different people, but Bowie, he did that uh, uh, Let's Dance riff. It was like a melody that Bowie was playing to him and it was just very simple, like a sort of a rockabilly swing thing to it or something and then he took it and he like changed it all up and he, he inverted the chord and this and that right and it eventually through this guy's manipulating of his original thing his original melody or whatever it became almost like a different song and then they added this delay to it so it's the engineer who decided on on the delay pattern mixed with this Roger Niles guy inverting the chord it's like it's not even what David Bowie originally thought of like he sang it, yeah, like his lyrics and whatnot, but I guess my a larger point I'm trying to get at is uh, stuff like when they compare uh, Beyonce and David Bowie, when when they, remember Bowie, or sorry, Bowie, I meant, uh, shit, who's the guy that, <laughs> what am I, oh, am I blanking? Beck, no, I'm talking about Beck and uh, Beyonce, there's this big sort oh, of internet oh, meme that went around. And that album was amazing, man, that Beck album was Oh, it was sick. It's incredible. And then you find that he played every instrument and recorded in his basement. Yeah, but so what yeah. I'm trying to break down is the fact that, yeah, that's cool that he that he did all his own shit on that. And so you look at the record uh, production credits, right? And say there was like, maybe there's like five or six other hands in the making of the, of the record, right? And yeah. then they compare the Beyonce one and they go, uh, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm actually mix, mixing up things here a bit. So the meme was... Uh, Beyonce plays one instrument. They show a picture of a microphone. First of all, that's not her instrument. That's a recording device. That's her <laughs> instrument is her vocals. And secondly, uh, they say, you know, Bowie plays night or why the fuck do I keep saying Bowie for Beck? <laughs> Anyways, Beck, they say he plays 18 instruments and they show a keyboard, a guitar, a bass guitar, a different kind of guitar. It's like they're just exaggerating so much about the differences here. Like, then they say 
Beyonce's album, 23 producers, right? So what what does it fucking matter how many yeah. producers? It might matter if he literally did everything himself so that there was one guy that created everything. That's pretty cool. But typically you don't have a, a one-man project that gets no. and, popular. And, and, and you know what? Like uh, most professionals will tell you, like most people that I've worked with who are like, you know, work on that level will tell you that n- most artists don't do that very 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 few artists will record mix produce and master it themselves right like you want to be you want to have a step removed you want to be you want to you want to have somebody who's going to be subjective somebody you trust you know somebody who's going to work i i'm kind of a big fan of going working with the same producer every album or the same engineer every album because they can understand your sound yeah or they, switching it up when you have to it's like we get a different lawyer when your case isn't uh <laughs> going the way you want to exactly exactly sometimes you need to change it up sometimes you can but then i mean the whole thing is like well why are there so many producers well how many musicians played on the record? How many people made cameos? Every single one of those people have their own producers that are going to come in and interface with the other producers and make sure that they're going to do justice to that person's art, which I totally understand, you know? Well, yeah, it's like... Um, and, 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 you know, I'm sorry, I just wanted to get this out. Yeah. That whole thing about, like, the not being, oh, she just sings. Well, did you ever hear that... that footage, or did you ever hear that clip, sorry, of, uh, of Michael Jackson doing the vocal instrumentation to to beat it i think i have but i'll go back and watch that again because i think i know what you mean yeah it's just this amazing just audio clip of of just him recording it at home on like a video or on a tape recorder just uh yeah and he does and he layers it all and he does all of it himself and he does the he doesn't even sing the words he just sings the melody you know like he just does it all himself and it's like he didn't play a single instrument he was not skilled musically. He didn't write music. He didn't read music. But he wrote so many songs by just like, and I think, you know, I don't, I don't know about Beyonce, but I'm just saying like, there's no way to, you can't discredit somebody who's only a singer. You can't say that they're not creative. No. And I mean, yeah, like, look, so with pop singers, especially, yeah, none of them basically write their own shit. It's all, it's all songwriters in the industry and producers that, that, that write the shit and, and then they, they sell it to whichever artist. You always, it's like, it's like when movies get cast, you know what I mean? When they say, oh, uh, this guy was actually going to play Neo in The Matrix. Did you know that? Yeah, cool. Well, this song was <laughs> going to be sung by this guy. Did you know that? Uh, cool. Like, it's just a, it's a product that these songwriters sell. It's basically what they – I'm speaking of as a guy that's outside of the industry, right? If you no. want to get real deep, some people say there's a, the Illuminati's involved in the music industry, right? Like, whatever <laughs> that means. I don't know how they're involved in creative projects. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Money, well, I guess, but songwriters have existed in. I mean, the whole idea of like a songwriter existing and selling their songs has has been around for so long. Oh, yeah, yeah. Record companies used to have artists hired that would just write songs, and they would like this guy Harry Nilsson is one of my favorite artists. He, he is like kind of infamous. He's written he's some songs you recognize. He did the put the lime in the coconut. Okay, yeah. Yeah, he's the coconut guy. Uh, he, did, he did a few songs that are kind of reckon, recognizable, but most of the songs uh, other people did that he got. You know, he did a he wrote that song one. You know, one is the loneliest number. Oh yeah, yeah. He wrote that song, and Three Dog Night made it a number one or whatever, and it became covered by all these other artists and all these other. But see, he's, that's he's how it written, goes. 
Yeah, and he was he was hired by RCA. He was RCA's songwriter. Uh, uh, I can't remember the artist did one of his songs on you know Midnight Special or one of those like you know TV shows, and she recorded it on on one of her albums. And it, or Bobby Gentry, that's who it was. She did a song, one of his songs, and it was like a really corny version of it. He did it on one of his albums. The best, you know. So. Yeah, see, and and not only songwriting, but also like Con- Kanye will bring in Timbaland to do yeah. the, the bass kick layering on this song. Like when he did uh, Stronger, he he yeah. had it done, but he was like, I need something more. So he calls Timbo. Timbo drives over, and he just sits there, brings his little piano in, and he just has his stock drum sound that he uses all the time and he just starts layering it and he goes that's it that's it so the point is it, music is often a collaborative effort especially pop music and guess what to make the best sounding things sometimes you need more hands more experts that that can then help you it's kind of like what you're saying how you help artists to really create their sound with an amp you need that those extra hands to 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 make a better project sonically sometimes right yeah. And, and as artists, it can it, it can be a bit difficult to relinquish your pride. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people are like, you know, oh, I don't need that guy's help. Oh, I, I don't, I don't need this guy to record me. I don't need this guy to tell me that I need to stand further from the mic or I need to use this pedal or this guitar instead of this. When it's like sometimes, and maybe sometimes you don't. Maybe sometimes you shouldn't listen to that person. But at least try it. Don't be closed minded to it. You know? No, and that's why I think that's like- one. That's why people like Kanye yeah. are geniuses because they, uh, the guy who made all the music for those movies like I Heart Huckabees and stuff, uh, John Br- Brian or John Brion, he did like half the shit on Late Registration, Kanye's second album. It's just a, it's such a, yeah, it's such a collaborative thing. And the final product is what counts, right? The final product, what your ears are hearing, and if it sounds good to you subjectively, is all that matters in music. Do you think that absolutely. that's a fair statement? Like, oh, I, I think I think absolutely it's a fair statement. And uh, there's there's some there's some content out there that I think most people would agree. Like, I think, and when I say most people, I'd say like if you were to grab like a, a hundred people or random off the street and play them a song, most people would say, oh, yeah, this, this is good. This should be popular. This is I, I could see, hear this on the radio. I could see this person like being yeah. This, this is a a successful artist, you know, this person should be making money solely off their art. You know, I, I think there's a lot of artists that you would play that, that type of stuff for and then play it for people and they'd be like, Oh yeah, I'm surprised this person is still working a day job and Oh, they don't have a record label or they don't have a record uh, contract. Oh wow, wow, wow. I thought that stuff was very good. Yeah. I guess my point is, is that so much great content now more than ever that it's so difficult for anyone to decipher what is like better than the other, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's an interest, there's an inter- it makes me think of the state of hip hop right now because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of like hardcore hip hop head fans, young and old, that uh, uh, don't like a lot of the new stuff that comes out, and it's but it's a really like prejudging kind of movement going on where, especially if someone sounds or looks different than what's been going on and people like chastise them as whatever like that little yachty is an example of a new guy that sounds freaking weird like he's he's, he calls himself like bubblegum rap is his genre it's it's like it's hood stuff but it's uh very uh uh, wanton sounding piano riffs and stuff like stuff something you would make on one of those little fisher price uh 
Uh, yeah, Casio keyboards. Yeah, yeah. yeah but totally. even more, like see, people said that with two chains and different stuff like that, they'd be like, "Oh, it sounds like you could make this piano beat on, uh, you know, a five-year-old." But now this guy's taking that to the next level, and he's young, and he doesn't. He says he doesn't care who Biggie and Tupac are. So you know, people are like, "Fuck this guy." That's uh, that guy. Yeah, I, I heard. I heard that. I heard but that. it's hey, but if it's Sonic, dude, it's like some of his shit has like two million plays on SoundCloud. So there's people who like it. So who are who is anyone to say, "Oh, that's not hip hop," or "That's not good," or? that's not real music what do those words even mean anymore it's like the sound that you're hearing if you like it that means it's good yeah yeah and you know i'm 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 guilty of that sometimes too right like i'm we all have our own preferences and and, and uh, yeah totally and sometimes it's easy to dismiss something as good art um, but at the same time i think it's it's also important to be critical you can't just always say oh well, that's good just let people enjoy it you also should be able to like have a conversation with somebody like if my friend tells me they really like something like that i'm like why yeah yeah, yeah. like so, explain to me why you actually but how do you explain right. and I'm, I'm actually curious right i want to know yeah, like yeah, yeah. is it oh i like how it's like so oh i like how it's so childish and i like how it's or or if oh, i like how it's new and it's different okay well how long is it going to be new and different yeah, but, but how do you explain what, how you like a sound in words? Like, it's so hard. You could describe yeah. almost, but you can't – you can show them, but you can't give the experience to someone of the visceral, like, feeling of why I like something to – you can't just hand it over to you in words. Do you know what I okay, mean? So, okay, so then I'd say, like, how does it make you feel? Like, yeah, yeah. why – like, okay, so, like, oh, I really like this bubblegum rap. Yeah. Like, why? Like, what, how does it make you – does it make you feel happy when you listen to it? Like, when I'm really depressed, I put on this bubblegum rap and I just – I feel super happy all of a sudden. Okay, yeah. I can all of a sudden I can understand that, and maybe I try it myself. You know, like next yeah. time I'm feeling super pressed, I'll, you know, you never know. Like, the, I think uh, being open is really important, but also being critical is very important. You have to be able to have conversations with people because bandwagoning is a big part of it. And I think that's another thing that's pretty popular in our, in our culture now is is there's people just like like music or a certain type of music because it's popular, like emo music is very popular right now and emo and pop punk is really popular in in uh in ottawa there's all these bands these young artists like oh, okay. you know six, 17 year old kids all getting into these these bands who like some of them are are good like some of them i really like this is this band from hamilton that i really like that i you know i'm thinking like they kind of fit in that style and like i these guys deserve the success and then there's these other bands you know from like more out here that are like of that same kind of popularity i don't want to mention any names but uh, i'm like i i genuinely don't understand how these people are selling out venues like ah. it's, it's like i i really see it as stale music now again it could just be my prejudice my prejudice in there like but when i try to have conversations with people about it i don't really find a good you know oh why do you like this band oh they remind me of this band yeah well, yeah you, do you still listen to that other band? Well, not really. Because I like they remind me. Of, oh well, so you're gonna probably at one point stop listening to this band too. Yeah. And it's like, I, I, there is there longevity, all those things. You got again, you got to be critical and how much it affects your your relationship with a person. You know. Uh, yeah. You, you don't want that because I, I don't know if you've ever lost friends over musical taste before. Uh, but. don't. I'm trying to think. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever lost friends, but I've definitely like lost communication with people I think people oh you listen to that now oh I don't know they don't take you seriously or like I've had people who like I play lap steel and I like a lot of a lot of like country old country stuff you know and like you know uh, all that does a lot of the the lap steel is like the slide guitar thing okay, yeah. um, very emotional sounding and I love that stuff so I'll like go to an open mic and play that and and then 
people would be like, oh, that's oh, that's awesome. We should jam sometime or play again sometime. I'm like, oh, I'd love to. And then they like check out my bands or they find out that I play heavy music and they're like, oh, you play in rock and roll, so you must not, you don't, you must not like this other stuff enough. You know, you must. I get. I feel like I get written off sometimes. It's like just being a guy who plays heavy music, even though I really do enjoy so much other stuff. You know. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, I mean, a lot of people think I'm just a hip hop guy, but I, yeah. I, mean, I love like all kinds of different shit. Exactly. Music is, um, you know, music is as old as we don't fucking know how old it is. That's how old it is. It's like language or like, uh, you know, a lot well, it's, of... It's, it's universal. Language, right? it's, it's universal it's, and it's, yeah, it's something that connects people on the deepest level. And uh, I wonder what these fucking psychos and ISIS like listen to. Quintalia. Yeah. No. yeah, I wonder if it's like, well, it's weird because they have this like this hate for history. So they, I, they, they must not, I mean, they can't listen to like, they listen to like the ancient stuff, like the cool, like, you know what I'm That's talking probably, about? I think they like, do just listen to like those, uh, very right wing Islamist, like prayer, or not prayer, but like certain sort of war cry type. It's like their worship, it's like their worship music, you know, it's like how we have like, like cheesy yeah. organ, the old lady with the cheesy organ singing, you know, and like, you know, all the bad church songs and all the hymns and stuff. Like, I think that's their version is like that ancient stuff. Right. And I wonder if some of them like sneak off and listen to like Snoop Dogg Metallica? and then they, or Metallica oh. or Metallica and Snoop Dogg collab. I don't know if that oh. exists, but it should, they should, they could still do it. Right. <laughs> it's never too late, man. Snoop Dogg, that guy, that guy's a character. How about longevity for Snoop Dogg? Oh my like, God. He... And beat a murder case. Oh yeah. Well that, oh yeah. That's at the beginning. Murder right? was that's the case. Like, like, I feel like that's been talked about enough, been rapped about enough. Nobody really talks about his whole life. A lot of people forget that, actually. I forgot a lot about it, too. You did, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. just, it was, you know, if you think about it, I was only, like, what? Like, I don't know, seven or eight or nine when that stuff happened, so I just kind of forget it. I I just mean it's been immortalized in song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He doesn't doesn't have a song how he talks about how he wanted to be a reggae star, but then funny whaler told the fuck off or whatever happened like <laughs> but he, he got put out that reggae ish album didn't he as yeah, snoop line yeah, yeah. Just name snoop line. but then he but went then back a, right a huge backlash i heard man i heard I, there was a huge backlash from the community really i didn't remember that i just i remembered at least mixed reviews yeah but apparently apparently all these people were saying like uh yeah, like, you know, what are you doing? Dude? Oh, he's genuine. No, he's the real deal. But then it turned out that he wasn't, and he flipped back. But then, but then he's still, he's still a guy. He's still in the scene. Like he's still doing stuff, right? Like, see, I don't know, even know. Yeah, the real deal. It's, it's, it, it makes me think of uh, when people just decide to become a part of group, a group, whether it be a religion or a, uh, uh, you know, like uh, so Rastafarianism or whatever. I mean, I think you can just kind of be a Rastafari. Like you can start practicing the tenets and you can just sort of say i am now rastafarian right you can't do that with like judaism or well can you can you you convert to judy yeah you could do whatever you want i suppose as far as labeling yeah. yourself right but do jews don't especially like in 20, convert. especially in 2016 oh especially but you know certain religions don't necessarily convert or then you got like the freemasons where you have to like be invited or asked to be invited so yeah I, yeah, I sort of, I don't know, I just went stone, off. Stone cutters, stone, stone cutters, stone cutters, right? cutters. stone cutters. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think I, I think most religions you can just kind of assume to be a <laughs> But I guess, yeah, I was, I was trying to make a comparison, I think, to uh, to genres or or just, or yeah, like, like Snoop just saying, I'm going to be this 
Rastafarian guy who makes reggae music now. Well, shouldn't you really? Yeah, you should kind of be able to do whatever you want. But there's always this backlash of either cultural appropriation, which is a stupid term because I think uh, cultures just intermingle and mix all throughout history as far as music or literature or different art and everything. It's all mixed. How boring would our life be if we didn't have stuck to our shit? Yeah, you guys all let's all segregate each other. You can only do white shit. You can only do black stuff. You can only do. Mexican I will stuff. fight. I will fight to the death for my Taco Tuesday. I'm sorry. Fuck yeah. Uh, I don't see race. I don't see color. I'm like Colbert. I'm Stephen yeah. Colbert. <laughs> it's really interesting that whole like miss. I think there's so many uh, you know misinformed uh, opinions about all that stuff that I've had to just start kind of shutting out. You know, unless it's, like, my immediate friend. Like, yeah. unless somebody I really know and care about. Like, if it's, like, you know, my bandmate starts talking all this, like, misinformed stuff, I'll try to have a conversation with them. Again, you know, you, try to, you don't try to talk down to people, but at the same time, you try to, like, show them where you're coming from in a confident manner. Like, you know, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's, it's first of all, it's very difficult in today's day and age to keep – to number one, keep track of the news, what's going on, yeah. whether it's political or uh, just pop culture. There's so every day there's a new meme, a new viral thing. Oh, we got to have an opinion on Colin Kaepernick yeah. if he's do you like that he protested or not? Does the national anthem third stanza actually say a racist thing? Oh, now I got to research if the thing was actually originally meant to be racist or if they're talking about British people. Uh, you know, it's like this rabbit hole. Everything's a rabbit hole, but everybody has to snap to to one side of every argument whether it's black lives matter or you either fully support it or you don't well you can't have black everything can't be black and white because there is individualized and 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 uh, compartmentalized problems going on in uh, various countries like like america you know there is extreme violence in certain parts and there's extreme uh racism in certain parts but in other parts it's more leveled out and people aren't that's why there's this, these two sides of, oh, racism doesn't exist or everyone's racist. Like, it can't be one of those. It's just, it's, the answer is somewhere in the middle. And there's individual, there's, there's, there's specific problems we can address one by one. But when you got, like, I don't know, everything's so connected nowadays and the media and everything and social media, just all these pundits and, and talking points and headline generation, all this stuff, it's like, Oh, it's so much information. It's overloading our brains and we can't even just sit back and have logical conversations or just uh-huh. – why do we have to have an opinion on every single thing, whether it be music genres? Is this good? Is that good? Uh, anything. Can't we just sit back and smell the smell the roses, Calvin? Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. I, I totally know what you mean. But <laughs> and, and I, I think that there's there's like a – there's just this like exactly like you said – black and white attitude where it's like either you're for or you're against but i i really don't think that it's yeah not many things in life are black and white as no they're never they're never black and white so yeah i i think that the the whole like relating to music and the whole relating to art in general too like i've seen a few artists um in town kind of i don't want to say marginalize themselves but they've they've almost They've affiliated themselves with groups that are like they're distancing themselves from people. Like they, I think it'll happen with most forms. Like whether it's like a painter who, uh, you know, in the 17th century or whatever, uh, it, it believes in the opposite religion 
of the country that he lives in or something. And it's like the secretive, you know, bold thing. He writes all these, like paints, all these secretive messages in his paintings, but it's obvious to the people who know, right. Um, yeah, drawn dicks on the Sistine chapel and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, exactly. So, uh, <laughs> I think artists today will sometimes affiliate themselves with like a movement or like a, a voice or, a, and it'll marginalize them or like, totally. that's so true other, from other groups or other, uh, fans when it's just like, at, like you said, at the end of the day, why do we care? Why do you have to care? Why do you have to care what that artist says about, you know, whether or not this person stands or sits during the national anthem? Do they make good art? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they're a shitty person, if they're like Michael Vick and like, you know, do like, you know, kill dogs for fun, have them watch them kill each other for fun. I mean, yeah. I think we can agree that that's pretty not acceptable culturally nowadays. Um, I think there's obviously lines, but why do we care? Why do you care if they make good art, if they do good doing good in other parts of the you know yeah, like i saw this, well, this article about this like university teacher how about how they're like somebody's like he, he refuses to say something or you know i refuse to use gender specific pronouns you know like if you if i don't know if you're you know if i think you you're he don't get upset if i call you he you know if you you know oh you must call me they or that he's like you know and then people like lashing out at the guy and it's like his record is exemplary or whatever it doesn't none of that matters there's no mention of of his record or whether what he's done good or bad in the past. It's just like, he did this. These are all the reasons why it was bad. You know? And I I don't, I don't agree with that. that No. Well that, yeah, that gets to this level of oversensitivity about, and that's sort of what I'm getting at too, is this, yeah. yeah, Today's day and age, just the, the whole oversensitive side of things and people, you know, it's just these extreme lefts and rights lately with everybody's pushing people into these boxes where they, they're saying, you know, you're, you have this extreme right wing view because you said this, or you have this, you must be extreme left wing because you support this, but it's not every issue is it's, it's like linked. It's like, or not every issue or, or your position on an issue doesn't automatically make you super left wing or super right wing. It's, uh, you know, that's a little, I mean, I'm not, too well versed in the political sort of science behind it, but I'm just saying that uh, the example of like abortion, your stance on abortion, why should that uh, relate to your stance on gun control? You know, so there's a lot of these people that get you know rightfully put into this libertarian sort of camp because they have like like seemingly opposed views, but but it's like oh, if you're conservative, you must think this way on abortion, you must think this way on gun control, and this. How can you be? Uh, why should those the links between those issues put you on one side of it or not? Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely, yeah, and and, and I, that's exactly yeah, well, I agree with you. And uh, the, the, my question, I think, and then I'm curious to hear what you think about this or, or how it affects you. So, say like you get hired for, for graphic design gig, and somebody's like, oh, you know, I want this nice image or this nice scene of of somebody sitting by. By a, you know, sitting by a fountain in a park drinking tea, you know, uh, or whatever. I want it to be like old timey. I want it to be in this part of the world. Do you feel like you're like, oh, well, I don't know. It's got to have like, does it affect your art? Like the cult, the cultural climate of the day? Like, do you be like, well, I don't know. Like this, I feel like this area just should have more diversity in it. Like, do you, do you, does it affect you? Like, do you mean, do you mean like um, when they're suggesting a very specific sort of thing yeah. that they want? Like, can I create that in the, or would I do that? Or yeah, yeah like, I, mean, I don't usually do like a commission does... thing. Like if someone oh. says they want this this painting, I mean, I guess I would, but or I guess even like in another okay, so another example would be like maybe like 
if you're doing a song or something like that and someone's like, oh, I don't know, man, you shouldn't, that guy is doing like, you use that sample of that guy talking like a Chinese guy, but he's a white guy doing a Chinese accent. Do you think Chinese people would be offended by that? Like, would you be like, ooh, well, I didn't think about that. Right, right, no. Or would you just be like, no, fuck it, it sounded good, I'm going to leave it in there. uh, I'm more of the fuck it, leave it in there, it sounded good. Because even with this podcast, like, uh, you know, yeah, I swear we talk about like, whatever like anything anyone wants to bring up i don't like shy away from it i or else i wouldn't be doing this it's it's you know but that's kind of my format a lot of podcasts that come out especially just like local indie ones have a focus or they they want to appeal to a certain audience for me right now this is just fun and it's creative and it's for my friends and our our sort of little community it's something to kind of be a hub for all of us like i want to keep doing this for a long time and you know i have lots of different people on here and kind of we can like cross examine each other through podcast conversations. You know what I mean? So, but to get back to your point, that's just, I'm all about full creativity, no holds bar. Like just do whatever you want, whatever you think sounds right. It's all up to the, the artist. If you think that color works, that's your, but that's different in design or, or a commission thing, or even if it's say a commission beat, maybe like, yeah, you're trying to cater to, if you're, if you're, if that's what you're doing, if you're selling or making a product for like an end user, then you gotta, yeah, it's a it's a balance between your creativity and then their what they're requesting from you, yeah, right. That that does kind of limit your creativity, but you gotta. That's something you learn. I think uh, it takes a while to learn to kind of navigate somebody's request for something creative to be made. Uh, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, oh, no, absolutely. And then, then you know, and obviously, there's that balance of like, you know, why did they hire you in the first place? And that hire you because they like your work do they seek you out like i like this guy's style so i'm gonna kind of let him run with it or do they hire you because you're the cheapest and they knew that you they could bend you to their will you know I mean, yeah and, and that's just kind of both sides right yeah well i mean for me i think what i like you know going back to the point i was trying to make was like i don't know i'm still kind of thinking it's all a conversation that i'm still having with like so say like you do a piece of art and it's it's perfect and it's this scene of people sitting around and the city's like oh we really want to use that artwork as our like you know city hall big you know painted mural on the front but would you put a black guy in there would you put a chinese guy in there like you, just because they ask yeah like so they ask you to be more to like affirmative action you know it's 2016 we need to be more diverse you know do you do you say is it a good thing or a bad thing for you to say you know in either aspect to say no this is my art it's got to stay that way or is it like oh no i need to be inclusive are you are you constantly thinking about this i mean i yeah, don't know i think it depends it, uh, what the sort of transaction is whether it's uh you know is it a, is it a pro bono project is it are you getting paid for it or or what because yeah. sometimes yeah you want to you want to cater to exactly what they want i think in that's in that example i mean if it was sort of they're going to be on their building they want some some diversity in there sure you would change it but uh it all depends i guess on the the piece like whether it's very personal to you or whether you're trying to sell it uh but that is an interesting thing and in, especially in design is when you're trying to sell a product by the end of the process if you're not careful sometimes the end product could be something that even you're not really happy with because you let yeah. You let the client the suggest too many stupid things. Yeah, it's it's the same with music too, right? Like I, I, I 
this and that's where the idea came from. I think was I, I overheard a conversation of these songwriters talking about how they didn't feel comfortable using a certain word in a song, or they wanted to cover a song but it uses a word that they didn't feel comfortable singing. Mm-hmm. You know, something like that. They didn't feel comfortable swearing you know, or or whatever saying a certain word that might be racially charged or something like that, even if it didn't mean mm-hmm. thing like. You know, I, I remember it was a band. They were talking about doing a cover of "Money for Nothing," right? And he, and he, and he says the word "faggot" in the in the song. Oh yeah, that's and right. yeah, and they like took it off the radio and everything. I don't think they played on the radio anymore. Um, I've heard I, it, but I'm not sure what station. I think I've heard it. Yeah, or maybe they blur it out or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah, you know, but there's that whole like, should you you know, should you censor yourself for the? I mean, if some you were playing that event, and you, I don't know. I, you got to make that choice. I mean, look at Tupac, yeah. hit him up. The, the end of Tupac's hit him up is like a minute and a f- minute and 40 rant about murdering people. And it goes and it just crescendos and crescendos. And it's never been done before on wax. Like, it's just this guy screaming at another <laughs> musical artist and his uh, cohorts that he's going to murder them in cold blood. <laughs> and it's like, were you, you know, did he censor that? No, he released it. And it was a big record for him, but that was the, that genre too. That was appealing in that genre at the time. You know, it's all it's all it's all your the, the subculture and what they're into. Is it gonna is it gonna sell to your? And not even sell is the right word. Something because sell I think is just a byproduct of if the if the product is good, if the creativity is is, is good and connects with people, right? If the music didn't connect with that subculture, then you couldn't sell it. To them, but if it was out for free, you'd still like like people get music for free nowadays most of the time, right? Like, yeah. so they, they they get it because they like they, money doesn't need to be a part of it. Money just this is sort of happenstance of of, of of music. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the more content there is out in the world, too, the less people feel like they need to pay for it, right? Which is interesting. It's kind of a trippy debate, too, about yeah. is it stealing or not? And, I mean, it sort of is by some definition of the word, but it's not the same as stealing, coming into your house and stealing your bread box. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, people steal bread boxes. You know, that's the thing. Oh, totally. I have, I have a lock and key on my bread box. That's smart. It's bolted to my fridge, so if you want my if you want my bread box, you got to take my fridge too. Oh, Heads that's, up, that's so smart, man. This is what we got to tell people out here in the podcast world: lock up your bread boxes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's it's really interesting to to talk about the whole debate of 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 art and you know how free should it be? Because I mean, for a long time, people the only way you could ever hear an album was to go buy it. You know, there's songs on albums that people loved, but they weren't singles. You know, like cult favorites. Think about all these bands from the '60s and '70s who, like, they, they you know, they play two-hour concerts. Well, they don't have two hours worth of singles all the time. Maybe they only have like 20 minutes or 30 minutes worth of singles. They only mm-hmm. have like 10 singles or 10 hits. You know, but they have seven albums or eight albums. They're playing all the stuff that the people love. So whether it was buying an album and going to your neighbor's house and sharing it, so then like, so you bought an album, your neighbor bought an album. You hung out, played each other both out. So it was like you had two albums. Like that was the only way to really get music. Whereas like now it's like, oh yeah, you could just tell your friend about it and they could just be like, send me the link. <laughs> and you could download it and listen to it at home in your, you know, in your sound system or whatever. Yeah, well, it's real strange. And maybe we could finish on this point, but uh, just to get your opinion on, on that whole thing, like is there going to come a time or, or just, you know how the whole music industry changed uh yeah. Due to this free music thing, right? Now they could make money off uh, the concerts more or whatnot, but 
It's like, why is an art? Why should the, they even get paid if they're making a product that can be digitally copied by whatever means? Like the technology's out there, and it's gonna happen regardless. Then they just gotta switch it up, and you know. But I'm not even saying I, I feel that way. I'm just saying that this is one side of the argument that you know everybody sort of uses is everybody else gets it for free. I know it's quote unquote illegal, but no one's going to jail for it. So uh, I'm going to do it too. And lots of every like most people do it, right? And it's kind of weird because it's like this this thing that the, the artist should get paid, but why? Yeah, um, <laughs> I, like I think the incentive to create art is different for everybody. Yes. Some people have this idea, I think still today that they're going to make it quote unquote and become, uh, you know, movie star rich, you know, Johnny Depp, George Clooney, Meryl Streep, rich from becoming, you know, an artist. Or it's whatever. always a possibility. Yeah. It's definitely a possibility, but the, the person that the chances of that are much lower and lower than they ever have been, lower than they ever will be. Right. Like, yeah. Um, so I think as long as the incentive to create art is personal, there will always be art there. You know, like there will always be that next person who does it, for, who will do it for less and do it for, and that's that's what's kind of that's why we're at where we're at, right? Because there's guys who just give up. They're like, well, what's the point? If I'm not going to get paid, I'm going to just play yeah, for myself yeah. and, and and screw it. So like, I mean, your question, like, why should they get paid? Paid. It's like, or you know, the the question: Why should they get paid? I mean, it's just. It's I mean, the I, same reason any, any performer would get paid. I mean, the the cost of of, of yeah. movie tickets. No, and I, and I and that's why I said I don't necessarily feel that way. I was describing because I do get the idea of paying for what you consume and enjoy. Like I, uh, there's a couple of podcasts that I really really like. That uh, one day I, uh, you know, I don't freaking donate monthly, but I went on one day and gave like ten bucks to each one. You know, that's my little, like, you know, I don't have, they're free podcasts, but they ask for donations. So I felt like, what made me feel like doing that? Well, it was obviously a feeling of appreciation of their work and I'd like them to keep doing it. So if I could fund that, you know, it's something I use in my daily life. I, I you know, go about my day and I got their podcast playing in the background. So I felt like they deserve it. So that's just a personal feeling of sort of, yeah, valuing the, pro- valuing the product and wanting to pay for it. But it's interesting when there's a product that you can get without necessarily paying for. Yeah. Because it puts people with this dichotomy where they, they kind of feel like paying, but they kind of don't. I think the deeper you get into it, the more you realize that that, like that isn't the be all end all like the, yeah. The, yeah. There's so much content that you just can't get for free and then right, rightfully so. Yeah. I think it'll. I don't think it'll ever be a full, full system of just free music for every free content for everybody. There'll always be people getting paid, rightfully so. Yeah, and, rightfully you know, so. maybe it might take a, some some steps in a different direction from what we have right now, and so that it does encourage people to get paid a little more. Um, but I think a lot of it just comes down to um, uh, the mediums change, so you need to find a different way to do it. Whether it's charging more for your live concerts, charging more for your your merchandise or whatever, like so. Or not just charging more, but doing it differently. Do presenting like yeah. presenting your stage yeah. differently. Your your videos, doing more, just doing different things than other guys are doing. So people aren't like, oh, I got to pay two hundred twenty five dollars to see these guys at a, in a you know, oh man, that's so expensive. But then like, you know, I think I think that's worth it. I think it's just getting that attitude out there. I think I think it's. Uh, I don't think it'll ever go away. 
No, I mean, yeah, regardless, if people, if there's no way to make money off music, music is still going to be made. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. And you know what? We just hit the two hour mark and we just, we just did it. We did a whole podcast. Oh, wow. That was, that was a lot. It didn't seem like two hours. That was good. It's interesting. Yeah. Time flies, but man, so great to talk to you. And it was uh, super interesting to learn a bit about tube amps and the history of tunes and there's so much yeah. more we could talk about but let's do another one another time absolutely man good talking to you Derek. yeah buddy okay we'll talk soon see you later see you man peace the decast would like to thank you for your listenership please follow us on soundcloud or subscribe on itunes